welcome to episode 101 of the Random Tale Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And I'm Elvis. And as you may have noticed from our new intro music, we're in a new chapter of uh, Random Nintendo here. Anything. What? Oh, oh, well, that's good. Okay. Inside, fun fact, the music's added after. We don't have a guy hitting play on the music while we talk. Of course you didn't hear it. Anyway, um, so as you may notice, we do a new music because we're now in the second set, our post-100 set Season of Season 2? Season if 2, if you may, you may, you may. Oh, you season 1 was three and a half years. <laughs> it's 101 episodes. No, it's 100 episodes. Yeah, wow. for, for, for community, that was six seasons. For us, one. But Team Titans Go is reaching its 100th episode this Friday. Oh, is it? Oh, wow. And I bet it took multiple seasons. Two. Okay, so we're closer to Teen Titan than we are community. Good to know. Anyway, this episode we're calling E3, hand, E3 2015 Hands-On because we're going to be talking about a number of different indie games that we got to play at E3. And some of them are Nindies at home ga- Nindy at home games that you could play yourself. Some of them aren't, so there's that. We also have Mario Maker Impressions, Zelda uh, Triforce Hero- Heroes Impressions. And I was at E3 itself, so I have some stuff to say about Metroid. Uh, oh, Metroid Prime Federation Force. I was at E3. Slash, last I was at E3. Um, yes, we have all that kind of playing show, plus news from uh, interviews and other things. Timestampsramtown.com as always, and stick around to the very end because we're kicking off our summer giveaway series with a special amiibo giveaway in honor of or our. Or skip to the very end. Or skip to the very end if you want to cheat. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in honor of our. Uh, what if we episodes. make them answer a question in a tweet and we don't tell them where the timestamp is? I mean. We make them answer a question. Well, here's the problem. Technically, <laughs> we need people uh, to answer. Here's 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 a we're randomly here's how you cheat. somewhere in the podcast. Here's how we won't tell you where. In that would be genius. That's for the fact that I put the legalese on the blog post that goes with this, just in case someone decides to be like, "Hey, your rules didn't say da da da." So technically, to those listening, you don't even have to listen. You can just stop the podcast, go to the blog post, and read the rules and enter that way. <laughs> so um, don't do that. Although we wouldn't know if you did. <laughs> but, but yeah, everything. stay tuned to the end. We're doing summer. To be clear, we're doing giveaways all summer long. Every single episode from now to the end of summer, we're giving something away. Multiple somethings in some cases. And we're kicking it off with a rare Robin amiibo giveaway. That's just a normal Robin that happens to be less common. To, like, that is rare, not a special rare Robin. Don't get confused with Dick Grayson Robin or Tim. Yeah. Or, or Red Robin coupon. Yeah, I mean, their burgers are delicious, but yeah, it's not them. They're expensive. They are expensive. Overly expensive. But anyway, so this episode... <laughs> Yeah, we have Lobby 3 stuff to cover. I did want to talk about first, though, um, I was on the show floor, and this is my first time going, so I figured I might as well share a little bit about, like, if you guys have any questions about what E3 is like, but it's it's definitely what people advertise it as. It's this huge 50,000-plus people convention, and you're there, and you're standing in line, and you're playing a game, and you're standing in line some more. So and then some more. You've been to Comic Con. And then some more. And then you get to play a second game. You've had a taste of E3? Yeah, you know, it's funny because, like, when I was a kid, E3 to me was always, like, Aww. the gaming mecca, the ga- the ultimate destination. Like, that's where everything was. You go there, and that's how you, like, hang out with Miyamoto and, like, everything. And then in the time <laughs> since. Yeah, hang out, become BFFs. And in the time since, we've been to, the three of us have been to Comic Con, like, five times. I've been to Press Day at the LA Auto Show, which is equally flashy as E3 just for cars so when I got to E3 and I walked in I'm like yeah this this is pretty much what I'd expect it to be like I wasn't like blown away it wasn't like this ridiculous sensory overload it wasn't like I just like yup it's comic con with bigger screens and less comic books and more video games which Maybe is comic con has a lot of comic books yeah it's true nowadays that's true it's all like random TV shows but um 
that's not to say E3 wasn't cool. It was very cool, and there's definitely, like, it is kind of, if you don't go to these sort of conventions, it definitely is sensory overload, because you walk in, it's, like, thumping music, and all the booths are, like, flashing lights. Like, the booth is never one color. Nintendo's in particular, like, every two minutes, it go from, like, red to blue to green to yellow to red to blue to green to yellow. So, like, if you're not used to it, it is a bit... They're all primary colors. It, it, they, yes, but, it, no, there's, like, three primary colors. Red, blue, green? Yeah. Not no, yellow? red, blue, yellow. Green is blue and yellow combined. Oh, you're right. Yeah. You're right. But yeah, so it's kind of like if you, um, like if you've never been to a convention like this, it is total sensory overload. But since I have been, I was like, this is super cool, but also it's just Comic Con with screens that go from the floor to the ceiling instead of just halfway up to the ceiling. But again, it's really cool. It's, um, and the, I think the best part about E3 is just actually like being at E3. Like, not, I mean, great. Yeah, we got, I got to play some games. We'll be talking about them both this episode and next episode because I wanted you guys to get a chance to play stuff at Comic Con. Our next episode are Comic Con episodes, so we can actually, like, multiple impressions and not just my biased impressions but um yeah the the thing about E3 is like the cool thing is there are games there but more of the point there's so much activity going on like you walk into Nintendo's booth and they have Treehouse Live right in front of you and there's like and I'm just saying Kit and Krista I did not actually see Kit and Krista at all but Charles Martinet uh Nintendo Minute oh but Charles Martinet was there and was signing autographs so we've met him multiple times so I just kind of let that be um Reggie was there. He was kind of, I was like, I was like, oh, this is my chance to meet Reggie. He's coming right towards me. He just did Trials Live. He's walking right towards me. I'm like, oh, this is great. He's like a foot away. I'll finally get to say hi and maybe, I don't know, tell him about this. I don't know. And then his assistant grabs him and goes, Reggie, Reggie, wrong way. And they turn him around like a half foot away from me. I'm just like, Reggie. Reg. Wrong way. Jesus. Yeah, it's like, no. But, um, or just like weird little things. Like he'll be sitting there watching Trials Live or standing in line and then boom, the director of Zelda Triforce Heroes is sitting right next to you for like 10 minutes. You had no idea. You just played his demo, and then there's the guy that came up with the whole thing just sitting there. Or, like, you oh, you look over the shoulder of, like, the producer of uh, Yoshi Woolly World. I'm blanking on her name. And she's reading Miiverse, like, on her iPad. Me- comments from people, real-time, their thoughts of the demo from E3 and, like, from home. And she's actually reading it and, like, digesting the feedback and, like, actually taking Please. it seriously. Demos? No, no, I meant, like, what they saw on Treehouse Live or what they played. Oh, okay. Yeah, thank you. Or, like, you know, you're walking around, and then Kanye was there. Not the day I went, but he was there. Or, in my case, um, It's a good thing you avoided him. I would have loved to meet Kanye, but Steven Spielberg. Would he love to meet you? Nah. Well, if I say I'm a fan, he'd be like, oh, okay. (laughs) But, uh, Steven Spielberg... What if he's, he's, I'm a fan? I know. (laughs) Everyone is. It's cool. (laughs) Kanye. But, uh... Yeah, or, like, Steven Spielberg, that was a funny one, because I was just walking around, and then, like, there's this crowd around the Forza 6 demo, which is, like, this whole 360 screen thing, and I'm just like, oh, I'm gonna get a picture of whoever it is, I get a picture, it looks like, oh, it's Steven Spielberg, picture came out alright, it's in our gallery, speaking of which, if you haven't seen it, we have 60 photos at ramtown.com and a special article called E3 2015 in photos, creative. Um, and yes, yeah, so I got a photo, I'm like, whatever, it's okay, it's good enough, I'll just go. And I leave, and then I'm leaving Microsoft booth, and there's Steven Spielberg, like, just in front of me, and I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I could now get a photo but he's being whisked away and it's just like there's a lot of things happening a lot of cool opportunities a lot of cool ones and you really are like in the heart of the industry when you're there and it's fun and there's really long lines that are not worth the time sometimes but you didn't see your best friend jeff keely i did not see jeff keely but he toured kanye around the day he was there personally he's a kanye fan it turns out uh but but yeah so that's kind of e3 in a nutshell like go check out the article for those listening at ramtown.com because it um you know, I kind of described what was at Nintendo's booth and just what it was like. You get a good sense of what it's like as a just a person going. Cause I have a whole bunch of photos, all the amiibo that were there. That was kind of cool. It's about all the upcoming amiibo just in tables, just lying around. So you gotta see that. Um, they look really nice. Not Mewtwo or Lucas. Uh, not Mewtwo or Lucas because they're not done yet, or they don't have prototypes yet. But all the prototype ones are out between now, I guess, and the end of the year. We're all there. 
But um, but yeah, so it was cool. It was really cool. But me and me and Angel the day before, the night before, got to go to our own separate little E3 event. And this one, this one was actually pretty cool too. It was a special indie game event that IGN uh, sponsors along with PlayStation, called the India uh, India the Indie Media Exchange. And it was on an LA rooftop in downtown LA, which was actually cool in its own right. But more cool is the fact that we did get to play a whole bunch of Wii U and 3DS titles. Um, including some that were, like I said earlier, in the Nindy at Home program and some that were not. So I figured we might as well talk about those five and share impressions of those. So first up is probably the most Nintendo-y of the bunch, just in terms of like it felt like a multiplayer Nintendo game, and that is Rungbo. So this one was... the only indie game I liked. Yeah, this is the Nindy at Home, or of the Nindy at Home, you mean. The ones that I... Oh, the yeah, the one oh, you could yeah, download, yeah. yeah. But this one, this one there, we got to do a full nine players, and it was. Uh, I mean, what do you what do you think? Um, it's really fun. It's definitely more fun. Like the more people you get, especially when um, like, yeah, I was fun playing with a bunch of random people, but um, when all of a sudden I got to play with two other friends, it was it felt way funner. Even though it was just four people, mm -hmm. like you can already see how how a much enjoyment. Yeah, yeah, when you're getting like a bunch of people. And I mean, for those twenty-one and over, like it could easily be a really fun drinking game, just because <laughs> it's just because of how fast how fast-paced it is and how yeah, and it's so chaotic. It's fun. It's really simple to pick up and learn. Did yeah. you meet the people? Yeah, the developers were there. Yeah, they played with us. They actually said that Jose is the best color master player they've seen thus far. <laughs> color master. Okay, so for those who don't know about Rumbo, there are three main modes. Uh, well, three different multiplayer options. You could do like kind of a foot race. You could do like a competitive Smash Bros. sort of deal. Or you can do Color Master, where someone's on the gamepad and is dropping items and changing the color at will. Because how the game works... Really normally you're competing it. to get to the end, but yes. in Color Master, you kind of don't want to screw anyone else over. You just actually... Color Master, it's like, in the case of the Color Master, he wants to kill all the other players and not let them get to the end. In the case of the other players, at least one has to get to the end and then your team wins. It's out of 12 points, so there's 12 rounds, and it goes back and forth. And ultimately, we won, you won, I don't remember. I think we won. Yeah, really. by one point. By one point. And they were saying, the developers were saying it's like the best color master match I've ever had. But for those who don't know how... How big, how big the team? How big is the team? Uh, as many as eight other people. Eight against one. eight other people? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's based because the game supports nine because of how it divvies up the controller. So, you know, one person's on like a classic controller that's plugged so into the back of a Wiimote. Nine people and... Nine people. Nine players. Nine players. Yeah. But it, um... Did you say the same thing in two different ways? Nine people, nine players. Well, I mean, like nine people, nine developers. And oh, nine oh no, 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 no! The developers are only two there. No, but like in total. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, is it nine? I, I thought that's what you told me right now. No. I asked how many developers are there. Oh, I thought you said. And then you said him sorry. and eight other people. No, sorry, I thought you meant players in the demo. Sorry. Damn. Sorry. Sorry. What a horrible podcast this is. Um. <laughs> Yeah, but no, it's really. I, think, I guess like they had that in case like there was no one that wanted to play, just watch. They had like nine people set up. <laughs> they had nine actors hired. No, but it was really fun. And for those who don't know how the game works, basically you're running or you're fighting or whatever, and the background changes color, and if it matches the color of a platform, the platform disappears and it changes color every I don't know, fifteen, twenty seconds. Faster, it's like probably like, actually yeah, probably faster. Two. It's like two. You're right. Um, yeah, where did I get 15 to 20 seconds? That's like half the level at that point. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, goes really, it goes a lot faster than that. Yeah, but it's it's kind of chaotic and you have to be strategic because it shows you the color for a split second before it slides in. So you kind of like, all right, I shouldn't go the orange platform because here comes orange. I'll go up to the green or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's really intense. It can get really intense. I imagine with friends, it's more chaotic than with strangers, like you were saying. Oh yeah, definitely. Although even with strangers, it wasn't... Uh, no, it was no, so enjoyable. I'm just saying that you yeah. definitely get more enjoyment out of beating like close friends. Yeah, definitely. And and what's kind of cool is that um, what we knew up to this point is it was gonna have those multiplayer modes, 
and it was going to have all these different cameos from different um, indie games, kind of like a Smash Bros. of indie games. In fact, the actresses were telling us that there's going to be a second wave of indie cameos being announced. Like, there's a whole other set. Yeah, Silver Knight's one of them. Well, he was already confirmed, but I mean, there's another chunk. They've announced, I think, nine, and there's going to be a handful more. But what they also announced, C3, I think... Meat one of them? What? Meat Uh, no, not yet. Make sense. He, he would make sense. I don't know if he... Was he one of them? He's not one of them. No, not yet. No, he... Not yet. Um, <laughs> he's too so, big in the indie community to not be one. I know, right? Yeah, but so far, it doesn't like they... It's all one they're, the, they're going for humanoid-shaped ones, because they'll have to fit that basic template. Yeah, oh, they're going for humanoid ones, and they're going for ones that like, seem They're, they're pretty much slapping the, the art on top of, like, they're already... The, those like humanoids yeah very true so me like maybe Meat we could get Isaac <laughs> it'd be cool though but what they did announce for Satan that could that would actually work or Doctor, I don't know then again they made Dr. Fetus work for um for Rhythm Alien Big Trip Runner 2 oh yeah yeah but that's different I mean they can make it with the worm no, that's if that's 13 Games wants to they could oh well, yeah that's because yeah. they gave him a, a a unicycle that uses a saw instead of a wheel right so I mean they could just no, they could figure something out. They it's could, doable. Yeah. I mean, but, for all we know, they could just put Dr. Fetus again with the unicycle. It's true. True. But what I was going to say is that E3, they did announce something that's not if Meat Boy will be in it. But it's actually really cool is they said that, because up till now it's been a multiplayer-oriented game, but they're now saying that they're, if you don't have nine friends... Jason? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they will have an online mode that supports the full nine people with solid, you know, the frame rate will be unchanged. Everything will be how it is in local multiplayer, just online. So you can do that. Alternatively, if you want to play solo, there's a single player adventure, which actually does support co-op, also for up to nine people, but you can't play it solo, and how it works is you're, um, you're going through the game and doing all these different tasks, like you're collecting coins, you're reaching trophies, you're defeating enemies, each level is a different task, and the ultimate goal is to stop um, this evil doer <laughs> named Satura, or Satura, Satura, probably like saturation, because color. Not Satura, I gave it a little too much of an accent. But um, but yeah, so you're going through and you're doing all these different tasks to do it, and then you build out this kind of... It's kind of like the um, in Smash Bros, where you're like doing the accomplishments that fills out that mural-looking thing. Yeah. It's like that, but as you go through and do these tasks and complete these missions and whatever, it'll unlock more of the like background mural, so to speak, and that's how you can kind of track your single-player progress. So there's a lot more of the game than just running forward or punching people. But it is really fun. It's really easy to pick up and play, because you're, you know, you're, you're running and then you, you have like a basically a punch button and a run button or a punch button and you move and that's like it and then depending on how you press the configurations you can do like a double jump or a punch upward or a punch forward or it's really fun it's very it feels very nintendo multiplayer like it kind of has that same idea where it's like it's super easy to pick up and play but there's definitely a little skill involved to actually get in first as you consistently did angel <laughs> you like never didn't win wait that's the double negative you always won it's in the beginning when the developer kept, developer kept winning Oh yeah, that's because he's a developer. I would hope he kept winning. But yeah, well, everyone else, uh, if you haven't, if you didn't get the Nindy download, you can pick it up when it comes out in Q3 2015. I, I know I'm for sure getting it. It's really, really fun. Yeah. But yeah. Um, another game that's coming, and this is Wii U exclusive, obviously, because of the ridiculous number of controllers involved, but another game that's coming just for Wii U is uh, Typo Man. Which, this one, they never really talked about prior to E3, but it's actually, it's pretty cool. I mean, Jose, I think you... Or, sorry, Angel. I think you played it... Uh, <laughs> I will one it. day get your name right. Uh, you played it more than I did. But I love the concept. Basically, it's kind of like... I mean, do you want to talk about it a little? Yeah, um, I like, at first glance, I guess... Um, yeah, just at first glance, like, I was a little underwhelmed because I just felt like, oh, it's another atmospheric 2D side scroller. Has some like, limbo vibes going on. Yeah, and 
It, it, it almost like felt. It just looked just like on the first appearance, like too similar to, to Limbo. Right. But um. Oh, that game. Yeah, but, but, but hold on. But after playing it, and then also um, after playing it more and watching that, there was a, another level that wasn't. I guess formally available to everyone to play. Like they let um someone else play with what they called the Infinity Room. Mm-hmm. And I guess it wasn't until like I saw that and um, I got more hands on time with it that I started to feel like, whoa, wow, like, this thing could get really tricky. Like it's, I mean, just the fact that it revolves around spelling words, like throwing spelling in a two D, a two D platformer yeah. escape is. I definitely haven't played a game like that. Yeah, it's super unique. And and also just the fact that, I don't know, it's just really cool that there's um, like if you know like other words that could solve the puzzle, like they'll work. Like it's. It's really cool. Or just like the word, yeah, like the wordplay. Like I was gonna say, the there's yeah. that there's that one part where there's a word that says part. It's just right there on the floor. But when you get near it, it flips over and, it, and then it spells out trap. Yeah. And it kills you. But then you have to find an S and put it right there next to it, and it'll so it spell strap, and it'll like strap down. Yeah. Trap. That's my favorite example from it. Because yeah. there are some where it's just like there's, there's some parts where it's just kind of more like a warning almost. Like there's one part where there's like a thing coming down on the level like a block coming down and it says crush above it so you're like oh it's gonna crush you okay yeah so, so like, you have to spell a slow or slow. right to slow down the crush yeah. yeah I mean like it's a definitely like a tutorial level kind of thing yeah. but I don't know I'm really I don't know I'm pretty I'm really curious like to how it will build up more especially after seeing that infinity room because mm-hmm. I mean like just on top of the fact that you have to figure out that you have to spell out a specific word to get out of there just getting all the words next to each other was its own like tricky puzzle because you had to work with switches because you couldn't get words faster than turrets that will destroy it. I don't know. It definitely has a lot of potential. So I'm like really excited. Yeah, it's it's really cool, and I just love like the fact that it's so creative. Like it's you know there's two D platformers are a dime a dungeon, dime a dozen at this dime point. A dime a dungeon. <laughs> Zelda in the mind. Uh, apparently I do. We'll get to that one. But yeah, it's a dime. <laughs> it's a dime a dozen to have like this sort of platform, but they actually are doing something really unique and different. And it is going to use the gamepad. We were talking with the developers, and um, they do plan. I think this isn't. I think they publicly announced this, but if not, uh, they do plan to ultimately let you move the letters around on the gamepad. Because right now, how it works is you like pick up the letter, you have to like throw it over to the word, and then line up the word. Yeah, it, mean, you get used to it after like I, I, 10, 20 I, seconds. But yeah, it's definitely got a little better at it. But um, the thing that concerns me is that I'm assuming they're going to do is that you won't be able to manipulate the words until you have them all next to each other. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, you, then you could be like, oh, I could just drag the words from literally anywhere. Because part of the challenge is getting to the letter and bringing it back. Yeah. So it wouldn't make sense if you could just like drag and drop. Oh yeah, letter. yeah. I think I think because right now the gamepad's essentially nothing happens in the demo build. It's a blank screen. But ultimately, yeah, when you bring the word or the letters together, you'll be able to just use your fingers to rearrange them, and that should be more convenient for sure. But yeah, it does look really cool, and um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a kind of straightforward game in the sense that you're, you know, you're going through levels, you're earning new abilities, you're just making your way through this 2D game. But just like that hook of the of the word mechanic is just so clever. It's like if you like crossword puzzles, this is your game, and you like platformers, there you go. Although the big, mi- <coughs> you made the joke a big missed opportunity to not use some sort of wordplay pun for their uh, for their marketing. Although new words, new worlds, or whatever the current slogan is, is pretty good too because it plays up the whole like you just add a letter and things change mechanic. Word, word. But yeah, it's it's really cool. It's coming out in Q3 as well, same around you know the same time period as Rumbo. But um, yeah, this one looks really. This one. Looks you made the wordplay pun to one of the to the and he did, and right? they didn't pick up on it. Yeah, but but that's probably because I said it like kind of casually. I'm just like yeah, it's, it, I, it's clever how there's so much wordplay. And then it's like pause for effect, and then there's no effect. I'm like on to the <laughs> next topic. <laughs> but no, it does. It does look. Uh, it does look really cool. I'm excited for that one just because it's so different. Uh, another game that was at the indie mixer that was, I'm really excited about 
Like Tatman uh, and Rumbar are probably like my top two, and this one slots in really closely behind them. Is Fast Racing Neo, which uh, now this was an alpha build. I should make that kind of clear because it's still pretty early. But oh my god, so good already. So Fast Racing Neo is basically zero or mixed with Wipeout, mixed it, with the polarity it, system of like a puzzle game. Uh, it it's more Wipeout, you're right. Yeah, it, it was a straight up Wipeout. But it does. Feel... Actually, no. I guess it would be. I guess it is a combination. It has yeah. it has the aesthetics of Wipeout, cause and it, it has the because it basically looks like Wipeout. Yeah. But Wipeout does does have an emphasis on items. Like, and it says none. Yeah. So in that case, it's like a zero. But a zero also has the ability to like attack cars. See, I would say this, this is one closer. I'd so, say it's closer to F zero because um, you can attack cars in Wipeout. Wipeout yeah. No, I know, but, but, but not. Spin. You need items now. I guess spin. you can spin into them. Yeah. No, no, I'm just saying that, um... The reason I said it was more F-Zero than Wipeout initially... I mean, yes, car design-wise, it looks pretty Wipeout-y, but, um... Also, track design-wise, they're all pretty much Wipeout-y. Kind of, yeah, yeah, no, there's definitely a Mute City you don't, you don't, of sorts. The last track in the if, cup we played Zero was very like, Mute... Or, not Mute City, well, yeah. Like, probably, like, from, like, the first cup, because, like, F-Zero, essentially, like, they're all, like, Six Flags roller coasters by yeah. the end of it. Yeah, that's true. Well, no, there was definitely the third or fourth cup you're in a cityscape in uh, Fast Racing Neo, and it's totally... The, the, the last the, track of the first GX Cup, except at night, basically. Like, I try and disguise the aesthetic, but you're like, I know, jumping no, off. No, 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 I know, you're, you're talking about Aeropolis. Yeah, it's like but, Aeropolis. And I, and I was going to say, like, that there's a track that looks almost exactly like the Cityscape in Wipeout. Because oh, right. I played through the PSP one. Oh, okay, yeah. So that's why, like... But regardless of which futuristic <laughs> racing game it most resembles, it is, still, it is still a really fun game. That's it's, true. Just the fact that Nintendo now has a one, I guess. Yeah, because Nintendo, the problem is there's been this hole in the Wii U lineup, and everyone's like, oh, I want F-Zero, and now we kind of have an F-Zero but um, another reason it reminded me of F-Zero did you see picture confirmation of F-Zero what that, that, that's been floating around what did you see that picture confirmation of F-Zero that's been floating around what do you mean the, a screenshot of Fast Racing Neo and people are just calling it no, F-Zero no the, the screenshot of Star Fox Zero and then they just circled the oh F yeah the F zero. and Zero yeah yeah but uh, what I was going to say is the reason it reminded me of F-Zero initially is because similar to F-Zero there are like pat like boost pads so like in F-Zero you drive over those uh, energy strips and it rebuild your health in this one they're the same energy strips but the whole mechanic is that it's about polarity so you're switching between two colors white and yellow i guess and um you want to match your color to the part of the track that is that color so your drive over boost and if you're white and it's on yellow you're gonna be slowed down but if it's yellow and you're on yellow you get a boost and you go right through mm. so that's kind of it's just like a little extra layer on top of f-zero in the sense of you're not so much just driving around, you're also kind of monitoring what's going on, on the track and matching up your car to that and moving forward. Um, if you want to see me do adequately at it, uh, Nintendo World Report, they have 12 minutes of direct feed footage and about, at least a chunk of it is me playing. Because I, I, we, we, we were like at the booth when they were setting up on the channel with Nintendo World guys and uh, Nintendo World Report guys and then they ended up using footage of me. So, the guy, I, got, I got between 2nd and 6th. I never got 1st, but I never got 10th. <laughs> so you're welcome to what are you you're welcome to <laughs> although it is funny I looked at the YouTube comments and a couple people were like this dude doesn't know how to play and then some other guys like give him a break it's the first time he's ever played it and he's like thank you random air next stranger thank you very much but uh, but no it is really fun and it definitely does sort of scratch that zero itch um, the cool thing is it runs at 60 frames per second it runs at 720p it will have four player support local and online complete with online rankings what I played was me against the computer it sounds like from what I've been reading that online, I mean offline local, they currently don't have it set up with additional cars. It's just the four people who are playing because they need to you know, keep that frame rate and everything. But for an indie game, even just that, it looks so impressive. The graphics are insane. It is by far the best looking game available 
for download from the eShop. Like, eShop exclusive game, period. Like, indie game. It's by far the best looking. Like, just in terms of raw pixel pushing, it's insane how much yeah, uh, everyone that walked by the game pretty much stopped and go like, "That's an alpha." Yeah, it's like because they had this huge thing on top of the screen, like alpha build, and it's like, "How is that an alpha?" Build? They're clearly lying. Yeah, but I mean, it, for all we know, they probably are. I mean, we don't know. Nah, why would they lie about that? Besides, so like, that we can't judge the graphics. Yeah, I, guess. I mean, I mean, that's, but there's nothing to judge. It looks so good. No, I know, I know, but that's just like. I don't even know how they pulled that off. I wanted to chat with the Shining guys, but they were off doing like an interview with Nintendo of Europe or something, and I was just like, "How?" I wanted to ask them, just like, "How did you? How is this going from the Wii U?" I don't understand. Well, but it, it, I mean, the previous games always look really, really good. Like Nano, like Nano Salt Neo looks really, really good. That is very true. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm really excited for it. It's um, it's definitely filling that F Zero void. Like I was saying, I mean, it's not totally F Zero, but it's it's close enough that I think it'll keep a lot of people happy. Although then again. Um, it, I guess it's gonna have to do because we might have gotten an F Zero on Wii U, but it ended up not happening. But it came this close; it was like a hair away from happening. And what uh, I don't know if you guys saw it, but Jason. Nintendo like blame uh, Criterion Games. No. Nintendo Life actually blame Alex Ward, the head right. of Criterion. I need to give me a name. There right. you go. Uh, Nintendo Life is reported. Someone needs to be blamed. Well, uh, there's a reason I'm saying his name in particular. Uh, <laughs> Nintendo Life reported. Yeah, I'm not new. Alex Ward. Well, no, he made a comment on Twitter after this oh. came out, which is why I'm saying it. So Nintendo World. Or sorry, Nintendo Life reported that F Zero was gonna make a comeback for Wii U, and it was gonna be at the E three twenty twelve Wii U showcase where they showed Nintendo Life for the first time and all that. But what happened? No, it's confirmed. Uh, Criterion Games has confirmed it. What happened was Nintendo of Europe went to Criterion Games. They make the Burnout series. Burnout Two is one of the best racers on GameCube. Like it's it's so good, and they're and they're really focused on like fat like the sense of speed. What? It is really good. How's it? Buy? I mean, it's my opinion, but sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, the thing about Burnout is it's always been about speed. Like it's an arcadey racer. It's grounded like in current cars, but you're going fast, so it makes sense that they could possibly do F Zero. And Nintendo of Europe came to them and said, "Hey guys, it's 2011 right now. They, you know, they didn't remind them the year because they're not sure. Uh, in 2012, we would like to make an F Zero at have it at three for Wii U. Are you interested?" Criterion Games said, "We cannot. We have too much on our plate. We're not going to do it. Sorry." And Nintendo apparently just like. All right, guess we're not making F Zero then, and just like <laughs> didn't shop. If they did shop it around, clearly nothing came of it. But the point is, we almost had a new F Zero, and Criterion shot down. And the reason I brought up Alex Ward is because he tweeted after confirming to Nintendo like this did happen. He tweeted separately um, that making like other people's IPs is not his idea of fun, or making games for other companies is not his idea of fun, or something like that. So I don't know if they had too much on their plate, or if they were just like, nah, we'd rather just make Burnout. But either way, we were this close to an F Zero, and what's particularly interesting is, do you remember in 2011, yep. EA went on thanks, <laughs> thanks, uh, went on stage at Nintendo's press conference and were like, "We have an unprecedented partnership with Nintendo, with the Wii U. We're like taking our relationship to new levels." You know who EA owns? Criterion Games. In other words, that unprecedented partnership was probably EA was going to make indirectly a F Zero, an F Zero game for Nintendo. Maybe we dodged the bullet there. Well, Criterion's really good. That's the thing. It was EA just owns them, so at the end of the day, it's EA's name. But it, Criterion themselves make great. They kind of disappeared and started making Need for Speed. But Burnout was collection. super good. What? They did not. But no. But uh, like it was Burnout's really good. I don't know if you guys have ever played Burnout Two. I've, Point of Impact. I've seen but it's a footage. great game. It's super fun. It, it, it looks fun. It, yeah, it's, it looks like a world-made racing game. What? It looks like a yeah, it's a super well made. So like, it just makes you wonder like, what did Nintendo plan with the Wii? Because they had EA potentially. No well, no, I mean, it all fell apart, but listen, I mean, think about it. They had EA that was going to make an F-Zero game, unprecedented partnership. 
They had Ubisoft that they're working very closely with on Rayman, on Zombie, like all these exclusive Ubisoft experiences that are now all going to other systems. Even Zombie is now going to Xbox randomly. And uh, they also had Activision, who in Europe, randomly, was the publisher of Sing Party, the Wii's karaoke launch title. Activision got published down in Europe. So clearly Nintendo was very strategically and specifically going after every major Western publisher and trying to appease them to get them to support Wii U. And obviously, as we all know, EA never, you know, nothing came of that. Ubisoft backed away from the system. Activision still supports it with Skylanders and new, you know, Amiibo partnership and Guitar Hero, but not Call of Duty. So, like, Nintendo didn't quite get what they wanted, but they, there's definitely, it looks like, a concentrated effort on Nintendo's part to actually get Western companies to really back the system and make it a true gamer's system as they originally pitched it. I mean, even stuff like having WB make uh, the special Batman game, or the, the special edition of Batman, of Arkham City. With Did the we game get any stuff. version of Arkham Origins? Yes. They made it for Wii U, and it didn't sell one, and they stopped. Yeah, but we at least had two Arkhams. Yeah, we had two Arkhams, but like just that almost back... I mean, it's not Rocksteady, but still. Yeah, that back to my point even further, though, is that Nintendo was like really trying to push these guys to make games for the Wii U, oh, yeah, and everyone uh, did the first year or two, and then it went... the nope. DLC, right? Yes, that's yeah. correct. But yeah, everyone just started backing away, and like the EA thing is just like the cherry on top of how horribly it all went in the end, because they didn't even get to make their F-Zero. But it would be cool if Criterion did it. But at least we have Fast Racing Neo. Yeah. And it's coming out this year, apparently. It's supposed to be out in 2015, so... Let's hope. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm it's fine. Sure. I mean, if it comes out a year later. It might just hurt, like, if... I don't know, once they start hearing about the NX and all that stuff. Yeah, that's why I think it needs to be out this year. Because 2016 is NX year. Announcement year. Possibly release year. You think so? Nintendo's already said they're going to talk about NX in 2016. Oh, okay. Also, they also indicate it's going to be a console... Uh, the producer of Metroid slipped up and said that uh, if they're making a new Metroid, like a core Metroid Prime, it's going to be, at this point, it's going to be for the NX console. Not NX, NX console. That's the first, mm. like the first kind of confirmation that's a system, not a handheld. Similarly, Reggie said it's well known that we're already making our next console, home console. So it's like, oh, I guess NX is a console now. I still think it's going to be a hybrid thing that has multiple form factors, one of which is a console, but officially it is going to be a console. It's going to be like a Rubik's Cube. You have to like, transform it. Yeah. To <laughs> you have to, it's going to be like the Xbox Elite controller where you just pluck off random parts you don't need and pluck on other ones. Have you guys seen that controller? It's, it actually is really nice. I saw it at, at, at the show. And it's like, like I tried it. It's, it's really comfy. But basically, it's a normal controller, but it costs 150 bucks, And the catch is everything on it you can swap out. Want a different D-pad? Put on a different D-pad. And you can also, on the back of it, there are triggers that um, map to all the face buttons. So you never have to take your fingers off the thumbsticks if you're playing a game. You can just map them to the triggers. You could get cool. triggers that fit your fingers and are comfortable and that sort of thing and it's pretty neat and they're already doing like special edition like fours has got like a special edition 10th anniversary d-pad which is like the weirdest commemorative item ever hey here's <laughs> a piece of a controller but no it is and it's really sturdy built it's, it's very like uh modding a pc sort of vibe like xbox is going this weird direction where it's everything's like hey we're a pc that happens to be attached to your tv like you can get mods for your games like, I think Fallout 4 will be the first one that lets you do that. On your Xbox copy of Fallout, you can install user-made mods. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can have a custom controller that you build yourself. Like, we're we're a PC, but we're on your TV. Look at us. They're trying <laughs> to, like, get ahead of Steambox, I guess. But, um... Anyway, that's beside the point. Let's go back to indie games. Um, another one... I guess, Jose... I guess we'll just alternate. One you played that I didn't get to play as much is Mutant Mud Super Challenge, which you, <laughs> which you played a lot of and kind of were good at, unlike me. So, um, what, how was it? The, I mean, it's a 3D platformer. I just kind of do Windows in general. But, um, no, game is fun. Game is as challenging as I hoped it would be. Mm-hmm. And definitely more so far. Um, he did, um, 
Jules Watson, he... I, the I developer from Ragged Kid. Um, I was talking to him about the game, and um, he essentially said that his goal for the game was to challenge the people that pretty much mastered the previous one, just regular mutant modes. Yeah. And that's, like, counting all the DLC. Like, the game literally takes place basically right after you finish the game. So the difficulty, like, goes down, like, maybe, like, a smidge from what the difficulty was on the final level of the previous game. Mm -hmm. So the first level, for many people that played it, like, they couldn't even beat the first level. It was just ridiculous for them. Um, that was me. Yeah, but at least he didn't struggle as much as um, another guy that I saw playing it. Wait, I wasn't the worst? Definitely not. Oh, that... Thank you. That, that means a lot. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> I'm not. I'm so proud. You're the first for everything. You, you, at least, <laughs> you, you showed the capacity to learn. I did, that's <laughs> true. I learned from my mistakes. Through trial and error, I was able to progress ever so slightly further each time. Yeah, you just gave up at some point, which which was kind of like the... Like, oh, I kind of take some of the stuff I said back, but... Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I gave up? Yeah, because you just Oh, well, up. yeah, because like I wasn't going to hog the demo when they were... Yeah, they hogged it for a lot longer. Yeah, well, I'm 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 fair to those around us and wanted to let everyone experience the challenge that I could not master. So I walked away. Is like, it is fun, though. Yeah, it has a, has a nice clean like art style. It's like 16-bit. He called it 12-bit. He was saying to... I don't remember if he was saying it to you or someone else. No, he was saying to someone else. It's like more like... um. It's like NES with extra palette stuff. Like turbo graphics. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. 12-bit. Yeah, it's definitely not Super Nintendo, just because no. everything is more clean. There aren't, like... Like, if you if some if something is yellow, it's just straight up yellow. It's not, like, a gradient of various yellows to make, like, a mm -hmm. sphere. It's just all flat. Yeah, it's still very... Like, I mean, like, Super Nintendo, yeah, it was pixels, but it looked kind of not as pixely. This is definitely still pixels. I mean, if you play Mute Muds, you know what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. This is Mute Muds. But because of the way it looks, like, there's um certain parts of the levels where you see, like, multiple backgrounds, and it just looks really cool, especially when they start you in the what we'll call the middle ground and you see the foreground like uh -huh. moving like the enemies and the platforms that you're gonna be on eventually then you also still see more things in the background even further so it just has like a really cool effect like it would look like it will look really really good on the 3DS cause that's yeah. how Mute Mud did look on the 3DS it looked really really yeah, good yeah the 3D effect in Mute Mud is super good and just watching you play it on Wii U cause they had the Wii U demo at the Indie Mixer and just watching you play it on there it's just like I, I really wanna see this on 3DS right now like it looks great in HD it's super crisp but like the layering I can imagine is gonna be great on yeah. 3DS and I mean, what I say like the appeal to this game is is that just like um, Super Meat Boy, V V V V V, and um, I guess Braid to a certain extent. Yeah. It's just that they're they're really challenging, but they're not so challenging that you'll rage over it. You'll just keep getting back on. Like you want to keep learning and learning. And I mean, since there's no game over, you just start like instantly. Like right as soon as you die, you just you're back in it. Yeah. The most it does is there's a death counter that shows you how many times you die, kind of like uh, Super Mario Brothers Wii did. Yeah. This is like your hardcore mode it, it reminds you like yeah you died you're gonna you, like you know you're gonna want to restart the whole game so you have yep, a zero yep. perfect yeah I, I racked up some numbers on that counter pretty quickly yeah, so, but it's fun yeah, so it definitely has that going for it that it's fun to know that you you won't give up but you keep going but it's still really hard I mean maybe you'll take a break but never not enough to make you go like I'm done with this game forever like screw it yeah one one cool unless thing you can't handle unless you can't handle that kind of challenge then it's definitely not for you yeah then don't even but he is making it primarily like you said for people that yeah, I mean, have it, it, played Mute Muds yeah I think that's how like super challenge like yeah, you should it's in the name you should literally <laughs> take that what it really means and not like yeah I don't know I, I, I'm sure you could think of maybe another game that has the word challenge in its title but isn't exactly like a really challenging hard, like a meant to be a really hard game Pokemon Puzzle Challenge okay I think that's like a casual yeah. game yeah Thank yeah, you. but I mean, it, it, and there's definitely, there's a, like, just one from the few levels I played, there's definitely that vibe of, like, there is 
multiple ways you can try and tackle something, but there is one right way. Like, you might get lucky and figure out some alternate way to do something, but there's clearly, and I think he was even saying it to you when talking about the level design with you, that there's definitely, like, oh, I envision players doing this to get through, or you have to try doing this specifically, which is, like, you really need to know your way around the game to really be able to cruise through a level pretty easily. Mm. But, but yeah, it's, it's really fun. And uh, one cool thing they're doing that he announced at E3, uh, Jewel... Yeah, yeah. and that's A3, is that they are going to have 20 secret characters in Super Challenge, one of which, at least one of which, is a cameo from another game, and that's Rusty from Steam World Dig, which in its own right is a really fun game and kind of a mainstay of the eShop, much like Mute Muds has become. So, kind of cool little crossover there. Uh, Mute Muds Super Challenge actually out this month, I believe. So, um, yeah, I guess if you guys if you guys like the original or are good at it, def- I would recommend picking this up for my limited time playing it. Yeah. But, but yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about more when it's out. But um, I did mention SteamWorld, so the final game we played at the Mixer, and this is one that was not on the Nindy at Home program, is us, and it was the only 3DS game on hand, and that is SteamWorld Heist, which, uh, for those who have played SteamWorld Dig, it um, it's the same but different. It'd be in that, yeah, it's, it's a fun game, right? And it's... it's- it's fun, but I can see it's not for everyone. Yeah, it's it's. There's definitely like you have to be into the kind of like I don't even know. Exploring. What yeah, exploration. Um, you keep doing. I want to say like the, the. You get a little bit further. Resource collection. What? Is it that kind of game where you have to like yeah. get a little like you go down, but then you're out of resources, you have to go back up and yeah, exactly. get further that's, and further. That's exactly what it is. So for this one, it's kind of the same, but it's kind of different. The way it's the same is personality. The way it's different is everything else. So uh, it, the the new game is actually kind of more like. Um, Worms than anything else, in that you're you're just ragtag bunch of robots. It's set in the same universe as SteamWorld Dig, but it's like hundreds of years in, in the future, space. I believe. It's in space now, and uh, you're trying to survive. So your ragtag team of robots, you're invading enemy ships and exploring them and getting resources from them and stuff. And the way you explore it is a turn-based strategy it's a, it's system. It's a two D. Uh, it's uh, what's the game I said? Was it? Like it's a two D. The PC game is like. Dudes versus aliens. Starcraft? No. Because <laughs> it's, it's not Starcraft. Oh, XCOM? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like 2D it XCOM. Yeah, yeah it's, it's 2D XCOM. But it's it's really fun because it's, um it, it, again, kind of when you're actually playing it, it feels a lot like Worms as well. But basically, how the demo worked is so you start with one robot and you work your way through a demo and they keep adding more additional robots have additional weaponry and additional you know things for you to try. But... Basically, you go room to room, almost like any standard size score, like Metroid or something. And in each room, there are different enemies laid out, there are security cameras, there are turrets, and you have to just make your way through, collect the resources, clear the room, and you do it. Like, every movement is on a grid, much like a standard strategy game, just the grid is left, right, up a ladder, down a ladder. There's no, if there's a ladder, there's no, you know, it's not like a top-down view, it's completely flat. You have to use geometry. You have to use geometry, that's a big part of it. That's actually a really fun part of it, is, um... They have, you know, the different guns. Some of them show you a sight. Some of them do not. And you have to kind of figure out, okay, if I shoot this bullet here, can it bounce off that and hit that guy? And the geometry, the sights, when they have them, will show you the ricochet pattern. But to add a little challenge to it, these robots breathe. So, like, you know in, like, a sniper movie or, or with a real sniper in real life that when they steady their shot to shoot, they have to hold their breath? Mm-hmm. Well, these guys breathe. So when you're watching, which makes, by the way, they're robots. Why are they breathing? Exactly. But uh, I, I don't know. He, I mean, they kind of just laughed about it when they were telling me about it. But um, <laughs> it is kind of fun. It fits the vibe of, Ste- of Steam World, where it's like, oh, they're robots, but they're people somehow. Like it's, I, I love the personality game. But um, so you know, you have to kind of account for their movement and like the shot, the the 
the sight laser sight is not steady so you kind of have to like all right they're breathing in they're breathing out now i'll shoot i don't recall off the top of my head if there's a button you can press to steady their shot for a second i think there might be but you have to then act quickly so it's there's definitely that little bit of strategy beyond just like oh i have to figure out how to clear the room it's like oh well, even as i'm clearing out the room i gotta like it's not just like a strategy game where you press go and they go you're still involved in actually doing the action yourself which is kind of cool but um i did mention the personality it's worth mentioning that that's the thing I think that carries over most from SteamWorld Dig is the game still feels like SteamWorld. The robots still have very creative designs. They still have um, kind of Zoe voices. Yeah, and they still have like except they're definitely felt, they sound a little more exaggerated. Yeah, they're a little more exaggerated. Everything's like ramp. Everything's like amped up. So like that's a little more exaggerated. They still have funny dialogue. Like if you shoot an enemy and you like hit their hat off their head instead of their face, they'll be like, oh, there goes my hat, or like some random like they're literally like little dialogue. That's popping. hilarious. Well, I'm just saying it's like most games don't. <laughs> I just say most games don't do stuff like that. Like the fact that they're putting hit detection on the hat and letting a hat comment come through. Like lots of games just are like, oh, you didn't hit him. Oh well. But um, but yeah, it's like I I don't know. I thought it was a nice touch. It um, <laughs> but the 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 core game though is very fun and I'm looking forward to it. The the thing I was gonna say is I it is going bigger and bigger in every sense sense of the word, but it's still starting out on the smallest system in terms of physical size, it's going to be 3DS exclusive when it launches. Um, they're doing this, they announced this at E3, it'll first be on 3DS and it's going to roll out to Wii U, PC, Linux, Mac, etc., whatever it's coming to down the road. But they wanted to do 3DS first because that's where SteamWorld did kind of cut its teeth and got famous and it launched in number one in every region when it came out. So, this one, it's like a thank you to fans for putting it on 3DS first so those same fans could experience the sequel. And, they're really rewarding the fans because um, they have like an ambassador program where fans can actually engage with the developers and contribute to the game and things and so far there's like hat designs and I believe actual robot designs that fans have submitted that are being put in the game so it's kind of cool out there crowdsourcing little bits and pieces of it to really give back as a thank you because I mean SteamWorld did kind of came out of nowhere and really blew up for image and form so it's cool that they're turning it around and be like hey look guys we're doing all this for you and we're <laughs> even like we're even writing dialogue about hats being shot off so so yeah no it's it's, it's fun though I, I really liked it I'm excited um it looked great in 3D. I only had 3D on for a minute to head off by default, but it's kind of just a standard layering thing of 2D. You know, any 2D size girl on 3DS, but it did look good. I'm excited to see what it looks like in HD when it eventually comes to Wii U, but I don't know if I'll be able to hold out for Wii U. I might end up caving game the 3DS when it comes out, because it is really fun. It's in 3D. Yeah, I have, yeah, but the 3D is kind of blah, as I was just saying. But um, not blah in a bad way, just blah. Like, it's there's only so much you can do when you have a flat plane and then another plane behind it. Like, you know, it's layers opposed to, like, real depth. But it is really fun. So that's what we got to play on the indie side of E3. Um, of course, there's an indies at home, and there's a lot of them, and it's a lot to cover. But I think the takeaway is Nintendo's making some pretty good strides on the indie front. There's some cool stuff coming to the eShop that kind of helps to fill the gaps of, you know, the lack of major third-party games, at least somewhat. Mm, I would agree with that. Yeah, especially since, like, you know, you have a game like Fast Racing Neo that has crazy high production values. You have SteamWorld Heist that looks to be a super deep game. You have, have platforms like Mute Mudge if you want it. You have Typo Man if you want something a little more creative that really racks your brain. You have Runbow for multiplayer. Like, they all are pretty diverse. <clears throat> and if you look at, like, the Nindies at home, even that's really diverse in and of itself, of those nine games. So it's a nice selection. Of course, if you want some first-party stuff, Nintendo is playing that, too. And one of the th we, the three of us... Look, you're part of the conversation now. Mm. The three of us went to Best Buy... I mean, I... I may have also played these at E3, I'm just saying. But the three of us went to Best Buy uh, to the Nintendo Access event and got to try Mario Maker. Where Jason played this at E3? What? Where you played this at E3? Where I played what at E3? Super Mario Maker. I 
watched it. I didn't play Mario Maker. I did play Zelda, though, which we'll get to. But yeah, we played Mario Maker. We played Zelda Triforce Heroes. Um, played Mario Maker for like five seconds. I know. Luckily, I watched a whole lot of it at E3, so I have a sense <laughs> of what's going on. But, but yeah, I'll leave the gameplay impressions of Mario Maker you guys. We should probably talk about that one first. Um, I mean, yeah, we you guys played it for a couple minutes at the Nintendo event until you died. I played it for like 10 seconds until I died. To be clear. Not my fault. I mean, it is my fault. But so you did my level, about 10 seconds. my level, my level. The second the level starts, I was, I got the game pound. Like, okay, I was doing the ghost house for those who have seen a footage, and I was just like, okay, I need to get a sense of my. Let me, like, get into this. All right, I'm gonna hit and just go. Here's the jump button. Okay, there it is, jump. And of course, there's a ghost right above me, and <laughs> then I died. And then I started to progress a little further, but it's tricky. The thing about Mario Maker is like, much like Mutant Muds, these levels are not for like new players these are they're going after the like the true mario fans that really know their way around a mario game and all the physics are intact for each one so if you're playing mario the mario U skin for example like i was doing for a ghost house you got wall jumping in there if you're playing mario world you got the spin jump thing if you're playing mario original you don't really have much of anything but uh yeah they're all like they all kind of port over and it's they went crazy with the level design i know we talked last episode about the Nintendo World Championship and some of the levels we saw there. Those four levels are actually going to be in the final game now, the championship levels, which is kind of cool. But what was the level you guys played? What was that like? Um, My level I, was... We both said we were like good, so we both got intense levels. Yeah. Why well, you got a World 8 level, I saw? I don't know. I, I think he, he gave me, like what he said, like was the hardest level. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, I guess it was, because... it's a level, it, but it's more about like surviving. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was only hard, because I... Didn't know where to go. Right. Like I didn't. Well, yours was insane. But, like I didn't know that I passed the goal twice. Like if I had seen the goal, I could have definitely passed it. But I guess like there was just so much stuff going on the screen that I just didn't see it or I just didn't notice it, and I ended up going in the wrong direction and and getting myself killed. You also had a wall of like fifteen giant enemies blocking the goal. Oh yeah, but that's why you just couldn't see the goal. Magic Koopas. So many more magic. I mean more enemies. Yeah. Yeah. Did you always? What, I don't remember what you what you had. I had like a Bowser Castle kind of stage, but it was kind of hard, so I only got to see like one third, maybe even less. <laughs> what was the thing that you kept dying? There's like one spot you kept yeah, dying. Right in the beginning, you have to jump onto a skeleton roller coaster. Right. But I didn't realize it was a skeleton roller coaster, so I jumped on it first, like like nothing. But then I jumped, I kept jumping ahead, and the dude like, no, you just. Just stay on it. Yeah, yeah. But right. I didn't know, so I just died. Yeah, we only got two tries. I got a pity third try, but yeah, we only, in theory, got two tries. And then, well, I got a pity try too. Oh, that's right. For the second life, you just missed. Just, oh, you hit the fire. Oh, that's right. you I, died really I, I overshot right. the jump. Yeah. And then he just gave me a pity one. That's right. I yeah, and then I made the roller coaster that. and passed the roller coaster. And then out of nowhere, there were uh, green cheap sheeps on fire. Yeah, now they're kind of big. Do. <laughs> and that caught me off guard, and I died. Yeah. Yeah, like we thought Obus first was gonna be like a hard kill to. You mean a hard time? A hard, a, a hard time. Uh, yeah. To no, I beat it. Yeah. I beat it. It was yeah. It was, Spades. Yeah. But I did. Um, it was I time mean, to spare. Time to yeah. Seriously. But I don't know if you guys. How much have you seen? Do, have you been keeping up with it online at all? Do you watch any Trios live stuff? Because what I saw on the show floor of these three. Again, I didn't actually play it on the show floor, but I was watching people. You know, navigate the mains. They had a huge stage show. Charles Martinet was there. Like doing trivia and Mario voice contests and stuff and they're showing a lot of the levels Charles Martinet was there? Yeah. Yeah, he did. A, I have a photo. If you looked at our gallery on our website, you'll see there's a photo of Charles Martinet right there. You should have mentioned me. He probably remembered me. Why would he remember you? Those are homies. Are you? How many times have you met him? I've met him twice. What about you? Yeah, but did he record a message he re- Yeah, he recorded us a podcast intro. 
all those years ago. Yeah, he gave me two. Oh, that's true. You had a voicemail. No, no, that's true. He gave me maybe at Comic Con. That's true. He got two. Um, autographs. No, I mean autographs, but uh, headshots. Headshots. Yeah, he got two headshots. Two personalized headshots. Oh, that's right. See, I feel like he might remember me because the first time I'm at E3 or sorry at Comic Con 2006. Nintendo was giving out these, like, there were four different Mario designs you could get signed. And I grabbed all four, and I walk up to him, and I hand him one. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, can you sign it? He's like, yeah, sure. And he starts signing and chatting with me. And I'm like, thank you. And he's like, you have three more. I'm like, I know. And I just, like, walked away. <laughs> I didn't say I know. I'm like, no, it's cool. I just want, I just was grabbing the whole set. But thank you. I appreciate the one signature. But he's like, what? Like, I would have signed all four. And I was like, oh, whatever. So he might remember that more than your double. He might remember my weird, I don't need you. Why would you? Not get them all signed? Yeah. I don't want to take people, I don't want to take up time. There's a long line. And I just, I want all four just to have all four. Even he wanted. I know, but see, I no, think like Comic-Con, that. he made it clear that he will give I everyone. I know, he didn't card. do that when we, when I went the first time. But yeah, when we last met oh, him. Oh, you didn't know. Apparently he was. When we last, uh, yeah, when we last met him, though, um, just to be, for people that don't know the story, when we last met him, he came, I've never seen someone do this at signing came out to the line and walked the whole line and kept apologizing profusely because he wanted to spend time with us so it might take oh, yeah, a while. Compound? Yeah. I've never seen anyone do that before. It was really cool. Um, but yeah, anyway, Mario Maker. So yeah, he was on the show floor showing it off and I got to see a lot of stuff there. Um, all these courses are insane, just to be abundantly clear. Like, they are literally insane. Intense, but I like the kind of levels you would find online for like yeah, Mario, like, Mario levels. Exactly. There's a hundred of them put on the disc day one. There'll be more to download, and actually, just the way you, um, the way you sample them is like kind of, or the way you browse them, kind of cool. And that basically, like I said, there's a hundred day one, and then Nintendo's got like a whole. I, I wouldn't really call it a storefront, but like a whole elaborate menu system to browse and download additional ones. So, how's it gonna work? Is when you open it, there's like all these different storing options. It's really elaborate. So when you open it, there's immediately a featured section, an up and coming section, and then um, like a general popularity section, and. Whenever you complete a downloaded level, you're then given the chance to give it a star ranking and comment on it. And the star rankings are what determine popularity. And the um, comments appear not just after, like in the level descriptions, they appear in the level itself if you choose to enable that feature. So when you're playing through a level, it will put little X's and circles that designate where other people have died. Again, I think it's a toggle, think something you could toggle. And they'll put the comments in it. So it's almost like, you know those SoundCloud music players on the web where it's like it's a song or whatever in a little flash player but there's like people commenting on the song oh, yeah. like oh yeah. I love this drop in this in this hip in this hip uh, this hip EDM song or whatever like they are doing that it sounds like I didn't see this firsthand, but the Nintendo people are talking about it they're doing it in the level so you're playing and someone will be like look out for that whatever and presumably it will use Miiverse so it's kind of like what Mario 3D World did on its overworld or Mario U did on its overworld map would be like this level is hard but it's like in the level at a specific spot so you can turn them off and try and challenge yourself or you can leave them on and kind of get heads up as you're playing of what to do or what not to do and it's just it really makes it feel very communal which is like what the whole game's about if you think about it so in addition to the soaring options um they put all sorts of stats so as you browse the menu it's going to show you the entire level layout in a little screenshot it tells you the percentage of completions like how many people have completed it and how many people just like you know how many completed out how many download it it'll even put the raw number counts of number of completions and number of downloads so you can just look and be like wow 10 people out of 17,000 beat this level <laughs> that must be hard and what's interesting is Nintendo's going to dynamically rate the difficulty of the level for you it doesn't use the stars it doesn't use the comments they're going to look at how many people have played it how far they got and use some sort of algorithm to automatically be like this level's the hardest this level's the easiest That's and it's cool. like it's a really elaborate system just to play some Mario games Mario levels so it's, it's pretty cool. Um, 
They're also letting you follow specific users, kind of like on Beavers, and they'll have curated lists, and there's gonna be all these ways to discover people, and it's like it's like a whole little social network for Mario levels, hmm. which is really cool. I mean, my big concern—I don't know if you guys remember—but before they showed Mario, when Mario Maker, when Super Mario Maker was just Mario Maker, like back in like March, February, when we were first talking about it, my big concern is it's gonna be like, oh yeah, here's some levels, and then you build some levels, and that's it. There won't be an overworld. There won't be any sort of gameplay. Like if you don't. You know, if you don't want to build levels, well, that's it. You get, like, 20. But they, I feel like they addressed that because there's still no overworld. There's still no, like, game to the level building. Like, I was kind of... I was saying at the time, like, a year ago, it would be cool if they had, like, a thing where it's, like, you, it's a puzzle. Like, you have half the level, and you have certain obstacles you have to do, but you have to kind of build the level in place to, like, almost, like, build the level to solve the puzzle. But um, that's not there, which is fine. But they add so much, that's really not a big deal. Because 100 levels you on the disc... Busy. Yeah, that's more than... For um, an hour. No, that's more than every, I think, every other Mario game. Mario World launched with 96 levels. Mario Wii U, I think, had 80-something. Yeah, they always have around 80. One of, the, one of the Marios was only around 70, and this one's 100 on day one. Plus, Nintendo's going to release more levels to download later. Plus, all the user levels. Like, this game's never ending. It's kind of insane. Like, how Is it's it a grave for Mario, though? Mario games? What? Is it a grave for Mario Oh, you, you mean in terms of, like, will they ever make another one because everyone can just play this forever? Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> the cynical side of me wants to say Nintendo's going to be like well no one's even going to buy this there's not that many Wii U owners so we can make one for the NX and no one will play Mario Maker it's fine but actually I have no idea I I don't know because I think it's interesting because if you look at the type of levels they're doing these are all like you said Angel they're all very mod like Mario mod style like something you would never see in a normal Mario right. game they're, they're, all like like they're, all they're all intentionally nonsensical yeah so I feel like for a standard Mario game they'll go back to standard levels and the reason they're probably embracing the ridiculous and making an art book of a hundred ridiculous level you know I think it's about a hundred pages of ridiculous levels is to just be like look at this absurdity this is not a real Mario game but it is and then they can come out with a real Mario game and go oh but this is normal Mario if you just want Mario because this one's definitely not for little kids in the same way. Yeah, there could be easy levels, but... And maybe the kids are really good at Mario, but this is definitely more of, like, a core, like, hardcore Mario, crazy ridiculousness. So, so that's happening. But the one missing feature that's kind of surprising is it won't have YouTube support. Oh. Which seems like a shoe-in to me in some ways, because Mario Kart 8 has YouTube support, Art Academy, Home Studio has YouTube support. You know, you can watch races, you can watch your drawing. Why can't you watch someone speed run a level... And the reasoning, uh, according to the game's producer, who was speaking with Game Informer, uh, I forgot, Takashi Tezuka, the reasoning is that Nintendo doesn't want you to watch the levels, they want you to play the levels, which I guess makes sense. Like, they're building in all these discovery tools, they're building in all these ways you can rate a level, you can comment on a level, you can have, like, the whole YouTube viewing experience, but then you're playing it instead of watching it. Which makes sense, but at the same time, speedrunning's a big thing online, there are people that watch speedrunning videos, much like any other eSport. Their runner-up at the Nintendo World Championship, Cosmos, is a professional speedrunner. You would think someone at Nintendo would go, now how are people going to watch Cosmos easily? But I guess I guess if he has a capture card up till now, he can keep using that. But mm. but it just seems like that's kind of a missed opportunity, because they could almost promote the game further. Because Mario Kart 8 and Art Academy, it's like, yeah, check out these videos. Oh, that game looks cool. I'll go buy it. Mario Maker, I guess if they have a capture card, but you're missing that extra virality so to speak of it like you can't easily make a video well, of your speed run go viral because you can't easily make it I mean, the only way, yeah, I mean I guess because some of the levels that are being made like you kind of don't want to spoil it you won't want true yeah because I mean, a lot of yeah, them, and, like the test yeah. they want you to play it I know right? yes, a lot of the levels are like puzzle based like, once you know the answer it's like really easy that's true like a lot of them are like noodle scratchers so 
that noodle scratchers? They should put it on the back of the box. A lot of these levels are noodle scratchers. Ramintendo.com. <laughs> so, I mean, I could, I mean, but, I mean, I would try to limit as much as possible. I mean, like, you know all the new, the typical news venues. and like, There's, yeah. there's going to be enough people streaming this. That's true. So, you don't Twitch. really need everybody to do it. So, then, basically, every level is going to be spoiled. Spoiled. Like, there's gonna, Although, yeah. in theory, there's always a new level because people are always making levels. That's another thing we should probably talk about is, have you guys watched any of the demonstrations on how you actually build a level? Mm-hmm. It looks so easy. It's so nice and easy. I was watching, um, I think it was Corey from the Treehouse was up on stage. And he was, like, doing... Corey. He, he's their water park demo guy. What? No, I just, no, he's just, like, one of the somewhat well-known treehouse folks. He was up on stage, like, doing this whole elaborate thing. Of, like, I'm going to build a level right in front of you, and then I'm going to have you guys run through it, and I'm going to, like, upload it to the kiosks behind me in the, like, Ring of Mario and behind the stage, and you guys can go try it. And it's, like, it's really easy. It's kind of Mario Paint-esque. But you basically, you put down a pipe, and then you just, like, swipe up if you want to drag it up. Like, there's a little notch you just grab and swipe, and then it's, it's super simple you just kind of plop things down and he sort of slot into place whenever you pause it mario will be exactly where you left him you put something under him and he'll land on it and then unpause it and you can edit levels in real time like as you play through a level the one thing you cannot do though is essentially remix a level you can't download a level play it adjust it and then upload it as your own you can adjust anything you want with the level you download you just can't re-upload it if it was by someone else originally unless you manually recreate it from scratch which I guess is a good way to make sure that there's not like someone stealing someone else's level design credit. But, Makes sense. But yeah, because I can see a lot of people try, like messing with the Nintendo World Championship levels and making cool stuff, but no real way for us yeah. to ever see that. I, I, I could dig it. Yeah, yeah. One, one funny thing is, I don't know, did you guys see the Treehouse Live where Miyamoto and Tezuka announced that um, the championship levels are going to be in the game? They mm-hmm. had the guys that created them. On stage, like they're just guys from the Treehouse. The Treehouse does not design games; they translate games. They offer suggestions on possible improvements for games, but they are not game designers. And these two guys, Morgan and someone else, I don't remember the other guy's name, but they um, they were on stage showing off the levels they built for the Nintendo World Championship with Miyamoto and Tezuka. And then Miyamoto surprised them by saying, "So we were talking about it. we want to put your levels in the game." And you know, if you're a fan of Mario and you made these levels for fun as like a fan. And then the dude that invented Mario was like, you know what? These are worthy of my creation. <laughs> they, like, their minds, like, melted on stage. Like, you could tell, like, one of them was, like, almost choking up. Like, that, imagine how crazy that would be if, like, your idol at your company is then, like, I love this so much. I'm going to tell everyone in front of, like, 300,000 viewers watching online. I'm going to tell you right now, we're putting them in the game. Like, that would be, that's kind of a cool moment just to watch. Because, like, one of them was literally unable to, like, put into words <laughs> a thank you. He was just, like, totally speechless. So that, that was kind of funny. But um, it's cool for them. It's a really cool opportunity. But, uh, yeah. So I'm excited. I think it's going to be really good. Um, I think, I assume you guys are getting it, too. Yeah, it's definitely one of those games that my hype for it gets... Uh, it, it keeps increasing the more yeah. I hear about it. Yeah. Kind of like Yoshi's Woolly World. Kind of didn't really happen for Kirby. Rainbow <laughs> and the Rainbow Curse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yoshi's Royal World looks pretty good. I got a chance to play co-op of that. I guess I'll talk about that for a minute. I got a chance to play co-op of that at E3. And, um, I mean, we played it at Comic-Con last year. It's kind of the same thing. But co-op's cool in that it's very... It's similar to New Super Mario Brothers, where, like, you know, if you die, the Yoshi comes back in an egg, and you can pop it and let him, you know, crack it and bring him with you. But just, like, there's definitely... They weren't kidding where it's like, if you want to be a challenge, it could be a challenge. Just in the one co-op level we played, there were all sorts of secrets. Like, the entire rep of the game's like, do you care about secrets, or you just want to get through it? And we're like, well... We'll just go through it and see what we can find. 
at the end, she's like, oh, by the way, you only found, like, a quarter of everything. And we found, I think, like, six things. And the level was only, like, you know, a standard length. And we were like, how, how is that even possible? But, yeah, it's, it's really fun, and the aesthetic just looks so good. But, um, yeah, that's what I'm getting more excited about, too. But in the case of Mario Maker, that went from being like, oh, it's like a creation thing. It's like WarioWare DIY except Mario. Okay. Like, I like, DIY, I like WarioWare, but DIY was not enough non-creation stuff for me. Because I'm not big on creating, I'm big on playing what's already there. But then Mario Maker's just like, it's ramping up significantly, and it looks really, really good. And for anyone wondering, I know why it's coming out on 9-11, which is a weird release date for a game <laughs> like this. The reason is, the 30th anniversary of the original Super Mario Brothers is September 13th. The nearest Friday, which is Nintendo's, you know, standard release date, day, is September 11th. That's the only reason. They want to match it to the, as close as they could to the original launch. It's not because they're like... It's oh, not because they're fans of a terrorist attack. No, no. I was going to say, like, 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 only Mario has the power to make everyone forget for one day. Yeah, no, no, never forget. <laughs> the entire nation, forget. the entire nation will be good to <laughs> Mario. Yeah, no, no. But, um, but yeah, that's why it's coming out when it is, and I'm, I'm excited. I'm surprised it's not there. also supposed to never forget? Well, you know elephants can never forget. No, but also you're also not supposed what? to forget. What? You have the Nintendo thing... What? Twitter. Wait, what? Wednesday. Oh, September 15th. Wait, yeah? Wonderful one on September 15th? Wigger Wednesday. Oh, wait. Ah, yes. <laughs> Never yes, forget. that's right. That's right. Yeah. I can't... That was a funny screw-up from Nintendo. Yeah. They caught it pretty fast, though. It was off Twitter within five minutes. Hilarious. Yeah. But, uh... But yeah, I'm kind of surprised Mario Maker isn't their big holiday game. How that well, It seems like more... Yeah, they did. It seems like more of a holiday game than, um... Amiibo Festival to me. Uh, I don't even count Amiibo Festival I know, as anything. It's, like Nintendo's holiday games. It's like something else that's coming out. Nintendo's holiday games for Wii U are Amiibo, Animal Crossing Amiibo Festival, Mario Tennis, and Xenoblade Chronicles X. Of those three, I would say maybe Xenoblade's the closest to a big title. I mean, Mario Tennis is the big one in terms of the name recognition as an Animal Crossing, but none of those are screaming like, you know, we're the Smash Bros. of this year, we're the Mario 3D World of this year. Mario Maker comes close. And yet... September. But I guess sooner, sooner is better than later, so I'll take it. It's close to my birthday. So I'll take That's it. true. That's true. The other game we gotta play is... It's his birthday, Jason. The 18th of um, September. Yes, it is. You do this every year. You're like, it's the 19th. And the next year, like, it's the 18th. I know it's the 18th. We have proof somewhere I'll find it. It is the 18th. I will bet you $10 that's the 18th. But then you can just manipulate the evidence. So Anyway, the other game we gotta play at Nintendo Access along with Mario Maker, it was a surprise, and this one I also got to play at uh, E3 for real this time, so I actually um, have multiple impressions and multiple levels, but Ooh. Legend of Zelda Triforce Heroes, which is really fun. So, um, what did you guys think? We, the three of us played the hardest level in the demo, or the hardest dungeon in the demo, which was the volcano. And then separately at E3, I played the easiest dungeon in the demo, which was the forest. So I have a bit of, a bit of both. But what, what was your guys' takeaway from your experience? It was fun. It could be really hard and easy just depending on Level your design. friends. Oh, uh, your friends. Yeah, I guess it goes for any... Uh, Co-op game. No, for any uh, Four Swords-esque game. But see, what's different about this one, I feel like, is... Well, go ahead. I feel totally like, I, I feel like you were going to say something. No, I was going to say, um, switching between... I don't know why. Like, I used to have trouble getting used to the controls. It was, what really? was it? Throwing and grabbing. Oh, with the totem stuff? Something like that. Like, I just kept on pressing, like, the opposite button. Like, I kept forgetting, like, oh, which one wants to use the item? Oh, it's not A? Oh, Did you play, like, grab? Between Worlds? No. It's the exact same controls. 
I, the only difference is I said I didn't. I know, but I'm just <laughs> saying, like, if you did, it's the exact same controls. Well, they, so play one that's to that's train so up for the other. I know it's so helpful. Uh, yeah, no, the totem thing's a little tricky because it's interesting. The the big new hook for those who don't know much about the game is this totem mechanic, which they're saying, oh, you have three players. Not poor purple link is gone forever now. You have three players, um, and there's a lot of vert. A link between worlds focused on verticality. That was a big thing. It's like, oh, with the depth of 3D, you can have puzzles that are like stacked on top of each other, literally, like state floors and everything. So they're building that verticality into the multiplayer now with the co-op in that you can have three links stacked on top of each other. And the, the way it controls is Why a little wonky. Four? What? Why not four? I think four would have gotten unwieldy for the totem stuff. That's not what you said. Like, the totem would have been too high. The totem would have been too high. That's what they said. Oh. Yeah. Okay, the totem would have been too high. In an interview, that's what they said. Like, they, they felt four was too high well it would get kind of confusing because I mean the totem currently like when I played it with you guys it took a minute for it to click when I played it like for all of us when I played it with the people on E3 it took a minute to click even the Nintendo it's like yeah there's an adjustment period but basically how it works is the person on the bottom is controlling the movement of the totem the person on the top is controlling the item and the person in the middle is kind of just there in the middle and can throw the person on top off and if you want to de-totem that's the official term for a lot like de-planing an airplane if you want to de-totem the totem you, um, the first guy throws off the top. Either you on the bottom can throw off the guy above you, but then he's still holding on to the top guy, or the top guy can be thrown off by the middle guy, and then you throw off the middle guy yourself if you're on the bottom. In other words, each person throws off the other person separately, and yet the top person's the weapon guy exclusively, the bomb person's the moving guy exclusively, and the middle guy's just there. Well, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, he does throw... He's just, yeah, he's, he's, he can throw you, that's it. Yeah, he can throw. But, um, and you can do a totem of two people, in which case, obviously, it's a little clearer, but there's definitely a lot of, like, you're running around, it's like, dude, fire, uh, point me this way, I need you to fire the arrow, or whatever. Um, you know, that, that sort of back and forth. And it is kind of cool, some of the puzzles they did with it. The demo, the level we played in the volcano, I feel like wasn't too heavy on the totem. The boss used it, so as we were finding the boss, its tail kept going higher and higher, and we had to hit the tail, so we had to, I had to stack on top of someone, or you had to stack on top of me, and then slash mm -hmm. at its tail. But the forest demo used it a lot more, I feel like. Like the early this demo. one was more pushing and pulling. Yeah, this one was a lot of moving blocks around and tossing someone on a block to go hit an to go hit yeah. orb. Yeah, so it was more co-op. But the the forest one was super totem heavy because that was like the that's the initial level in the demo. That's the one they're really hammering at home. So you're playing through it and it's like you can't get past anything without having to stack a person or two to hit an orb with a boomerang or to hit an orb with an arrow. And it was a lot of just like you need a person of this height over here, a person of that height over you know a totem this tall that tall. But it does it does work and it does feel kind of fresh and if they do use it not overbearingly kind of like how like the volcano demo didn't use it too heavily but the forest did if that's how the whole game is it could be cool if they if the whole game was like the forest where it's just like every single room of the dungeon you're like oh hey I need you to stack on top of me so I could go shoot something it get a little tiresome but but the boss design was kind of clever in its own right too because like even with just the totem because I mean we had the slashing the tail thing and then we also had the room it was the same basically the same boss from. Link to the past. That yeah, one, the one that reoccurring. That yeah, reoccurring. yeah. And like in the forest, they had one where it's kind of a similar concept where he grows taller as you go, but it was um, sword, or no, it was arrow instead of sword, or it was the opposite of whatever we did with the volcanoes. So one of them basically you have to be up close, and you really have to have the guy below you aiming well, and the other one you could be a little further back and just kind of shoot it. I don't remember which is which off the top of my head. Well, we used swords the whole time. Okay, so yeah, so the arrow one. So yeah, that one was like an electric. It's like one of those electric jelly guys, kind of a blob. You had to shoot his Thank you, Chichu. You had to shoot his uh, membrane in the middle. So it wasn't quite, it was like a transparent one. Mm. And you had to shoot his membrane in the middle. 
and each time you shot him, he got taller and taller, so you eventually had to start, like, stacking yourself off in the corner, but then there were things they had to dodge while being in the corner, so there's there's a lot going on. It's a kind of cool mechanic. Was it overwhelming for little Jason? No, we, we won the dungeon without dying, unlike the volcano, which we died, but still won. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it was really fun. And one thing, though, that's kind of interesting is you made the contest a lot like four swords. And, yeah, I got that vibe, too, but apparently there's a lot more to it than that. It's more strategic. There's more puzzles. I did notice it was less competitive. There was never once in the two dungeons I did, you know, with you guys and with the random strangers, there was never once one of those situations where it's like, the rupee, you know, the treasure chest is open. There's rupees flying everywhere. Go oh, collect as many as you can. Like, this one, they, uh, the director, I'm blanking on his name, it's... Uh, You're trying to make it like an actual adventure Chikata, game? Chikata, Chikata. It's... Uh, it's um, Hiramasa Shikata, yes. He's making it, he, he described Four Swords as a party game that happened to have some light co-op fair. He's describing this as a co-op game that happens to have some light party fair. So it's, he didn't say the party part, but that's basically what's going on. So um, he just said it's a co-op game through and through. It's more of an adventure game. It's more puzzles. It's more, you're more entrenched in actually solving things. And part of that you can notice in the demo in that you are picking your outfit for your character. And the different outfits you have do different things. I was like the jester, the jester guy. I forgot what it was called. Like the nightgown looking. He was lucky. Yeah, and I was lucky. So basically, I could go run into an enemy, and one of, I think it was about one out of three times, I just wouldn't get damaged. Mm -hmm. And then you could also have like, I think if you're wearing the traditional tunic, your sword stronger or something like no, that. No, I had the samurai costume, and right. I had a wider range in sword swiping. Right, and you, Jose, you Zelda this dress, and right. I don't know what it did. <laughs> uh, I don't remember to be honest. It, it made me more. I think it raises magic because we all share sense. a magic meter and a heart meter, so we can only use items X number of times and only get X number of hits between us. Which is another thing. I believe four swords you share hearts as well, but you were, there were no magic limits whatsoever, so you could just willy nilly party it up and kill each other. This one you actually have to be a little mindful. So that sort of stuff all kind of factors in because, like he was saying with the different outfits, is that um, it's actually he didn't say his exact words, but the gist of it that I got out of it is it's kind of Team Fortress Two. Like, when you go into a level, you, you have an assigned role. The guy who's lucky might do one thing. The guy who has a better sword range might do another thing. The guy with more magic might be in charge of a third thing. Like, you might not just be totoming willy-nilly like we were. You know, might want to put Zelda-dressed character on top because they, you know, they have the best, the minimal magic depletion. Or if we need a sword, we would put you on top and we could stand the totem further back and still hit the enemy. So, like, that sort of thing is, like, there's a little more strategy than just four swords. And there's a whole game built around that idea. So, also, you collect the material as you go. I wonder if anyone would go that in-depth. That's what they're hoping. I mean, it sounds like you'll need to. Because, like, he was saying that, like, later in the game, like, this is how you play the game. It's not... We played the earliest levels. So, I have a feeling you will... Because you're collecting materials as well. That's the other thing, is as you go through the game, this is true of both the co-op mode we did and some other modes. As you go through, you get materials that let you upgrade things and get new, you know, abilities and enhanced features and whatnot for later in the game. So there's definitely some sort of like progression you can make and that's important and that actually helps you with harder puzzles down the road. So it's definitely more than Four Swords because Four Swords, even Four Swords Adventures is like, hey look, it's a whole world of Four Swords but it's still just, there's a treasure chest opening, here's some bombs you can throw at each other. This is way more like honed in on you're doing Zelda, you're just doing it in three instead of one. What do you think was the executive decision to uh, get rid of the purple one? Hmm. Why was it? Why purple? Uh, least popular. Also, these are three more distinct colors. Blue and purple are kind of, Blue and purple and red are all kind of... Purple is red and blue, so now they have mm. red, blue, green. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes, sense, Makes for better artwork. Uh, 
But oh, there is one other thing they announced. It's kind of weird. Or one other thing about about their hair color, either. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and also, the, so the story of the game goes. Um, he was talking about this. Actually, before we get to that, sorry, I was gonna say one more thing. We almost forgot the communication system. The game's packed with emojis. Oh yeah. So the bomb screen is just eight emojis. Link can say item or over here or shake pom poms. Which, by the way, Nintendo Repity Three and I agree. The only emoji that really matters is the pom pom. <laughs> <laughs> like they. Uh, that's actually the least. And you keep good. typing it, it animates. Yes, yeah, if you do it fast enough, it'll alternate between two, so it does a little animation. But um, the interesting thing is why they did that. Because when we were playing, and this is true at E3 as well, when we were playing, the three of us, we were talking a lot. We were like, we need to go over here, oh, do this, oh, do that. There's no voice chat in this game. If you're playing online, you cannot say, and the whole game's playable online with three people, hmm. you cannot say, go over here, go over there. You have to use the emoji to say, come here, or item, or yay, you did it with the pom-poms, or oh, you didn't do it with a sad face, or whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> with a sad face. Like, whatever it is, that's how you communicate, and apparently that was a design choice, not just Nintendo hating voice chat, which I think is their real undercurrent here, but uh, again, this is coming from Chikara himself, he was Ooh, saying, so. yeah, he was saying in interviews that the reason they did this is if someone's playing online with someone, let's say I'm a newbie at Zelda and you enjoy really good at Zelda, what's stopping you in voice chat from going, okay, you just need to go over there, get the boomerang, go over there, hit that orb, okay, that's going to unlock a door, now go through the door, now go downstairs, okay, you solved the puzzle, good job. That kind of ruins the experience for someone who might not be as Zelda inclined. By using the emojis, you're basically doing a hint system. You could say, item over here but people are still like wait which item where do I take it oh over here like that's kind of I see where he's coming from with that it kind of makes sense it makes it a little more engaging for everyone because I mean you might get frustrated as the pros on I guess player. that I guess that would make it harder for the person that already knows what they have to do so they, they don't puzzle like alright I need to figure out a exactly. way to communicate exactly. it exactly. these dum-dums how to do it yeah and meanwhile <laughs> the dum-dums are like oh I get to actually figure this out and then, when, like, and then when you figure out how to communicate to them that's that's your own mm -hmm. aha moment like I did exactly. it exactly so there's a puzzle it's all it's like meta Zelda there's a puzzle within the puzzles of the game or a puzzle of solving the puzzles but, uh, yeah, so that's the reason he claims that they don't voice chat. And, I mean, I get what he's saying about the, the players bossing each other around. That actually sounds totally viable. Because it would suck if you hop online with three strangers, or two strangers and you're in there immediately like, oh, yeah, we did this dungeon yesterday. You just you go through that door, you turn left, you're done. It's like, what, why? This isn't fun. I'm just being bossed around. So at least this gives it more to do, more of a Zelda vibe. Um, but I do have to say that it, I don't know if it's enough. Because, I mean, like I said, we did talk a lot during the demo like we were communicating non-stop there's never a moment i was using the cheerleading pom-pom link just to be like we did it like i did not use any of the other ones because mm -hmm. it's much easier to just talk so this might be one of those games that's better as a local multiplayer experience and online is just there it's definitely better as a local yeah. with friends yeah. you can't be playing with friends you can play online with friends but but yeah you can't communicate as easily unless you're on skype or something so this is definitely a nice easy way to actually address both like you can still talk locally but online there's you don't have to worry about people being overbearing and it's kind of a happy medium. Oh. Yeah. But we also learned, courtesy of the interview with IGN, that there is more to this game than just the main story mode, surprisingly. Um, first of all, in case anyone's wondering, it's not set in Hyrule, we are not saving Princess Zelda, and there's no real reason for why there are three links. There's just three links. You just roll with it. <laughs> but uh, the... At least not yet a reason. But the other thing they announced which is actually more important is there's a competitive one-on-one -on -one mode and a challenge mode. And the competitive one-on-one -on -one mode, this is the only way the game supports two players. If you're playing single-player, you have two paper doll links that you can kind of place around to solve the puzzles. If you're playing three players, you have three players that each are a link. But there's no two-player thing where if someone drops out, 
a paper doll subs in. It just says game over, saves where you are, and you have to start from there once you have three people again. That sucks. Yeah, I think the reason they're doing that is they can't dynamically scale the puzzles, and I imagine if you're doing single player with the two paper dolls, it's slightly different level layout, and it'll have to do a third variation for two players. That's the only thing I can think of. But it is still kind of a weird thing. Like, well, if our connection is just bad, and you just fall out off the Are game. those paper dolls going to be your best friends? They are. They your are. Your only child you. Yep, yep. But, um, but yeah, so if you want to do two players, there's called CM mode, which actually sounds kind of fun. You're basically, you're in a limited space. It reminds me a lot of Link Between World Street Pass Battles, which I just realized you never played, Jose, so you have no idea I know, what about. I know exactly what they're okay. It's not like I don't keep up with Nintendo games. Well, I don't know if you knew the Street Pass stuff. You did know the controls. Yeah, I mean, Mr. the controls are different. I know, I know. Anyway, uh, so for those who don't know, I guess, you're fighting in limited space. That's how Coliseum works. And, um... It's gonna be. I. It's a little different from Street Pass. It's a little more fleshed out because there are items that are around you that you can pick up and use. There are um, also terrains go transform as you perform as you play, like the level actually morph. So there's a little more to it. But what you when you beat this, you get material that you can then put towards your character for co-op and whatnot. So you can actually beef up your stats and beef up your costumes and really really make that Zelda dress shine. So that's that's um that's kind of the idea behind it. Um, it's cool that they're doing more than that. What they're not doing is an overworld is not a normal Zelda game. You're not going to explore the fields of Hyrule. You go straight. There's a castle, there's a the Coliseum, there's a town, and there's the dungeons. And that's it. So it's a little more streamlined. But it's, it's more of a dungeon crawler, I guess, than anything else. Hmm. Each game is a puzzle, I guess. Yep, yep. Um, I mean, level. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, each level is a puzzle. That's basically, that's basically what it's it is. It's a party puzzle game. It's a party puzzle game. That's actually probably the best description of it. But, um... Yeah, because it's definitely not your typical Zelda. This is kind of a weird offshoot. It almost feels like it's like a Link Between Worlds. They're using Link's face. Well, that's what's weird is they're not. Everything else is a Link Between Worlds, but Link himself is more Phantom Hourglass, Wind Waker, Spirit Tracks Link than it is <laughs> that it is a Link Between World Link. Yeah, and the art for him is always it's just it's your standard Toon Link. Yeah, it's Toon Link. There, it's not this other one. That's more like the OG. Yeah, but I guess that makes sense because uh, the director of the Zelda, who also directed Link Between Worlds, also worked on pretty high up. I think he was assistant director of Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks. So that's where he kind of cut his teeth. He's been involved in the Zelda series since um, Ocarina, but this is his second director role, and it's you know it's him getting to branch out the series a little in a new way. So, so it should be cool. I'm excited for it. It's coming out, I think it's, I don't know if they said holiday or October, but soon. And I, I definitely think that was my favorite, one of my favorite demos on the show for was this, for sure. Like, I really enjoyed it. It was really fun. Even with people you don't know, it's, you just start like that co-op camaraderie. You're just starting me like, okay, why don't we do this? Yeah, that's sounds good. You know, that sort of thing. And it's, it's fun. It's really fun. So that's coming there this year. Um, there was one other game I played that you guys haven't had the chance to play yet. It'll probably be at Comic-Con now. But the reason I bring it up now is not so much the game itself, but the controversy around it. And that game is uh, Metroid Prime Federation Force uh. and the Blast Ball multiplayer mode. So I think it's safe to say that people maybe didn't get what they wanted from this entry in the Metroid Prime franchise. You know, it's, uh, it's been eight years. They wanted Metroid Prime. They got some chibi mechs. <laughs> that are playing soccer with guns. But uh, it, it's worth knowing that, like, I said last episode in the bonus episode, and I'll say again now, that, like, it looks significantly better if you watch the Trios Live footage of Federation Force, not Blast Ball, just Federation Force, than if you watch the trailer in the direct. When you watch the direct, you're like, what is this? You watch the trailer for Trios, or you watch the Trios Live, 
segment and it like oh it's like co-op it's kind of like zelda actually it's like it's co-op it's multiplayer you go kind of level to level there's no overworld you just kind of go and you work together and it's metroid in name but not necessarily in game and it does look fun but i did get to play with blast ball um and i think the takeaway here is it's not your everyone's right this isn't metroid prime in how it looks this isn't metroid prime what you're doing but in terms of controls it is metroid prime like it feels it's the exact same idea where it's like you have one control stick that's moving you you have a, you can kind of move the reticle around if you hold down a button in this case you use gyro and you can then you know you have samus point one or the gun point one way you can move the reticle about with the gyro but you don't always need to because it's like metroid where it's all one stick um also new 3ds it'll actually support the c stick as a secondary option to move the reticle step separately but that was not weirdly in the demo i played which makes no sense because it was on a new 3DS, but I guess that's something they're still building. But, um, yeah, the game was originally actually going to be a launch title for a new 3DS XL, which is why it uses the stick, but they pushed it back for whatever reason. So, fun fact there. But for Blast Ball, your main goal is you're trying to get a ball in the goal, obviously. And you're two teams of three. There are items you use. There are um, The ball can hit you num numerous times, but you can actually explode if it hits you too many times, then you kind of have to uh, respawn and weigh it out. But it's, as a demonstration of how Metroid controls can work in this game, it's good at that. As a game in and of itself, it's it's okay. It's not great. <laughs> I mean, I think there needs to be more to it. You mean Blast um, Ball, right? But, yeah, Blast Ball. Oh. Yeah, uh, what did I say? Oh, it kind of sounded like you were saying, like, the game overall. Oh, all they had, let me, yeah, let me clarify. All you could play at E3 was Blast Ball. They had a Splatoon-style set where it was three-on-three. Three. You know, like last year, how they yeah, showed yeah. off Dredger's Splatoon. It's like this huge, elaborate arena. They had two three-on-three. They have a commentary. They have lights that go off when you win. But all it was was Blast Ball. No, we won. won. But, uh, so that was fun. But um, all it was was Blast Ball. But what Blast Ball showed me is that if they take this control scheme and they say, let's do a Metroid Prime Hunter sort of situation and then just make it co-op and make it mission-based, it's like, okay, you know what? Maybe this isn't the Metroid Prime people want, but it still fits in the franchise in terms of how the gameplay feels. It's just not Samus. So that's... I mean, I can see why people are upset, but it's, it's not it's not that bad. And ultimately, I think based on um, interviews with the Metroid Prime producer, who's separate from the Metroid producer, apparently 3D and 2D Metroid are considered totally separate franchises. Uh, the producer of Metroid Prime is a guy named uh, Tanabe, and based on the interviews with him, it sounds like the goal was to make a game that's more Metroid Prime Hunters than core Metroid Prime. So if that was their goal, they did succeed. Blast Ball, you're playing it, it feels like you're playing Metroid Prime Hunters, just with soccer and guns. But uh, the, the interesting thing, though, is that he was telling Kotaku that... Um, actually, first of all, the interview was weird. Like, that was... Like, obviously, uh, Steve, the guy that was interviewing him, Steven Toto, was trying to express the fans of disappointment in the game because they wanted Metroid <laughs> Prime, and they got, like, this weird Federation Force Blast Ball hybrid thing. And he kept, like, hounding the point, like, but can't you admit, like, this isn't the Metroid that they want? Like, it was, it's kind of awkward to read, because he's asking some actually tough questions, and usually these interviews are very fluff, so I felt bad, a little bad for Tanabe, but of course, Metroid fans like, no, he's getting what he deserves, because he made not what we wanted. But, uh, but yeah, in between the hard-hitting questions, he did explain that, um, this is really Metroid Prime Hunters in, like, it's an action game. Metroid Prime's exploration, Metroid Prime Hunters is more action. It's just kind of the idea of the action kind of ramped up. So there's no visor scanning, for example. There's, uh, you go mission to mission, there's no exploration between planets. There's three planets, about ten missions each. There will be an appearance by Samus. There will be an appearance by Metroid, but you're primarily... appearance by Samus? In the game, there will be an appearance by Samus. She's involved in some way, but not directly. But for the majority mm. of the game, it's you versus space pirates as the Federation. 
They went with the chibi look, for example, because um, you're in these mechs. The Federation guys will use mech suits to fight because they're not Samus. And the easiest way to make the mechs look decent on the 3DS was to kind of condense them a little. Like, it wasn't them trying to go, we're cartoonifying it. That's just, he was saying this uh, just have to Engadget, I think. But yeah, he's just like, we need to. We're just limited. This is what we're doing. Yeah. But he's been apparently con- uh, conceptualizing this idea for like 10 years. The idea of like, why don't we do a story about the Space Federation, or the Federation and what they're doing against the Space Pirates, and like, as Samus is off doing her thing, what's happening in the rest of the universe? Yeah, I think that's cool. It's a cool concept, and the game itself, like I said, it feels like Metric Prime. It's Maybe just, just the timing is bad. I think it's a mix of timing and just how they delivered the news. Because they went, here's a new Metroid! Oh, well, actually, crazy. first they went, here's Blast Ball, and everyone's like, that looks like Metroid, and they're like, it is Metroid! And you're like, wait, what? And they're like, also, this is Metroid. And then they showed that weird four-player co-op thing. But, like, if you, um... If, it will have single player. It's actually worth mentioning. I, I almost forgot to say that. <laughs> it does have single player. That was confirmed to me. And in the Kotaku interview. But someone, one of the reps at the to demo. Me. Yeah, no, one of the reps at the demo was like, yeah, because I made some comment like, uh, I can't remember what I said, but basically the the end result was him going, yeah, they're single player. I'm like, oh, all right. But, um, and he said in the interview. But the, the kind of funny thing is like, this game reminds me so much. It, I see why Next Level Games is the developer because it reminds me so much of what they did to Luigi's Mansion. Luigi's Mansion 1, open-world game. Yeah, some people go, I know. <laughs> Luigi's Mansion 1 was an open-world game, right? Sort of. It was single-player. Well, open-house. Open-house. Open house. <laughs> it was an open-house game. Single-player experience. Very fluid throughout. You didn't really have to, like, you know, go to menus ever. Mm. And then... Hold on. And then for... Wait, well, you're going to disagree with... I mean, well, yeah, they had locked doors, but that's no different than not having... Well, no, because I, cause it's like you would do one thing, and then you would go back, and you would do another right. thing, and you would go back. Yeah. It wasn't like... It's so open. In the, well, let me... Okay, that's not it, 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 it's, it's not like Banjo-Kazooie, where you could get all the jiggies in one go. It's all like, right. It, hold on. Let it's more 64, where you have to like, get a star, you have to go back so that the house could reset itself. Yes, let me... Let me a different maybe, you'll, maybe you'll see what I mean when I'm done. Um, maybe. If not, then you can jump in. Uh, so, Luigi Mantra, I say it's more open there than the sequel. It's single player only. You're kind of exploring the mansion and the nooks and crannies and whatnot. Met- Luigi's Mansion 2. Oh, hey, we went ahead and did the exploring for you. Here's a mansion divided into missions. It's all, it has multiplayer now, and it's bite size. Metroid Prime. Open exploration. You're playing solo. You're kind of exploring on your own. Metroid Prime Federation Force. Oh, yeah, we kind of took out the exploration chopped up into bite-sized pieces, and we, we like to do the expression for you, and it has multiplayer now. Both games, same developer. I see why they have next-level games. Next-level games making this game. It's kind of the same philosophy of how they converted Luigi's Mansion into Dark Moon. They're now doing with Metroid Prime into Federation Force. That was my only point. But you're right. In terms of, like, sheer openness, it's not, you know, it's not Banjo-Kazooie, but if you look at, like, Luigi and its progression, and you look at Metroid and how it, Metroid Prime, how it progresses, there are some... No, no, you're right. I... When you first talked about openness, I, I guess that's actually talking about Dark Moon first. Oh, no. No, yeah, no, the no. first Luigi Mansion definitely was. Yeah, the first, yeah, I was talking about the first Luigi Mansion. Yeah. Not yeah. open world, but it was definitely open. open house. It was definitely <laughs> open, yeah. Yeah, so, so I can see why they went with uh, Next All Games. It kind of makes sense that, like, if they really wanted to do this to Metroid, they would be the ones to do it, so. Um, but where it diverges in concept from, from that is the idea that, um, I guess I kind of already touched on this, but the idea that your doing missions and they're predetermined and you just kind of jump in and part of that new thing they're doing is you're going to have weapon loadouts this is new for Metroid um, he was saying in an interview that you're not going to just be like oh yeah I'm Samus oh so am I hey let's all be Samus and shoot stuff it's like it's kind of like 
similar to what I was saying with Zelda, it's kind of like Team Fortress 2, where it's like you kind of designated roles, and like one person can have a certain set of items that's like, oh, you're the healer for the group. All right, the next person's like, oh, you're the guy who's got a running gun. That's fine. You're more defensive. Okay. Like, you can actually kind of branch them out a little. So it's, it's basically, basically Zelda and Metroid are doing the exact same thing in their respective genres. And that is Mimic Luigi's Mansion 2, just with more that. <laughs> so there you go. That's Nintendo's strategy for next year in a nutshell. But, um, yeah, it's just interesting because everyone's like, oh, Metroid, this isn't Metroid. And it's like, well, it's basically what Zelda's doing with um, Triforce Heroes. It's what Luigi's Mansion kind of did. So if you... So, yeah, you might want a true Metroid, but you're getting this weird half Metroid. So take that for the time being. I didn't think of it as just, like, in addition to... It's not, like, yeah. replacing anything. Yeah, and Blast Ball, just which to is like be clear... The, which is just that bad mentality that a lot of people seem to have, kind of with the whole... The, 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 the Smash Brothers clones. Yes. Thing. Yeah, well, the, the mentality for this is way worse than the Smash Bros. Clones. Oh, yeah. But yeah. just to be clear, um, Blast Ball, for anyone that's not clear, this is included in the in Federation Force. It is a multiplayer option. They envision it as kind of what the soldiers do on their off time, and they're actually considering making it the training mode. Like, you train... When you first start the game, you're doing Blast Ball, and that trains you on the controls to then go play real Federation Force. And it does do that. Like, it feels like Metroid, so that would make sense. But, um... I think the bigger thing, though, is... Okay, so that's how the game works. Now you know a bit more about it. It's maybe not... You know, on its own, it sounds fun, but maybe once the Metroid name was attached, I could see why people would be upset, because it's been eight years, and it's not really Metroid. But what I can't see and I can't understand is why there's this knee-jerk reaction where over 20,000 people have signed a petition on Change.org to cancel the game. Oh, wow. A, I mean, Nintendo hears you guys. They, um... First of all, this was so bad... Like, the, the attention from that petition was so much that Bloomberg, like, the big financial magazine and website, Bloomberg, put an article up that's basically, like, Nintendo disappointed fans, and they linked to the petition. Like, Nintendo's E3 was a bust as they disappoint fans, and they, like, linked to the article. We have the article on the blog, the list of links on our uh, blog for this episode, like, on the post for it. So, um, if you're curious about, like, just how, like, about the mainstream attention this got, that's what got. Um, AP also did something about it. They did winners and losers of E3, and... And one was Nintendo versus its fans. <laughs> and the fans won. <laughs> but, um, because they're like, oh, it's justified. But the thing I don't understand is, how is it justified? Because, just imagine if, like, this isn't the first time it's done. So let's say it was Wind Waker. Let's say it was 2003. Remember when they, or 2002. Remember when they announced Zelda, as it was nicknamed, Cell Shaded Zelda? And everyone's like, this isn't Zelda, this is an abomination. What if they made a petition? Well, if Nintendo listened to it, one of the best Zeldas ever, Wind Waker, would never have happened. People didn't like when they hate when it was first announced when they first showed the footage it might have actually be in 2001 at the GameCube unveil. Like, I don't remember if it was it, it was because then that Nintendo World thingy the World Space Star, World yeah Space World like they showed that what 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 now looks like an ugly Ocarina of Time looking Link versus like an, another, another like Ganondorf and more like real, yeah, realistic graphics super... it's like they were about to fight and then like they clash and then like oh People are, like, people are like, oh, that's what the next Zelda's going to oh, look yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they revealed Wind Waker. Waker. Or as it, and that was really quickly nicknamed Zelda, C-E-L-D-A. So people Zelda. were like, wait, what happened to and, that demo? It wasn't just, wait, what happened to that demo? It was like, they've ruined the franchise forever. Nintendo's doomed. This is awful. This is the worst thing that could ever happen. And I feel like if there was a petition, if Change.org existed, there would be a petition that probably would have gotten like quadruple the signatures at least. Like, <laughs> And what if Nintendo listened to it? We never would have gotten Zelda. Or let, you know what? Let's keep it Metroid-related. When Metroid Prime was first shown as a first-person game, they did in a demo-realized space world, and everyone was like, this isn't Metroid. Metroid shouldn't be a shooter. No, no, this is no. Just no. And guess what? Now those people are like, this isn't Metroid Prime. Federation (laughs) 4 shouldn't be a game. No. Like, I get it. It's not what you're used to, and it's more of a spin-off than anything else. And honestly, I really wish um, that Tanabe would call it a spin-off in all the interviews. He's like, no, 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 it's part of the main story. He's like, dude, 
Just say it's a spinoff and people will get off your back. But even then, they really shouldn't be making petitions. Like, if you don't like the game, don't buy the game. There's no point in, like, making the developers feel bad. Like, these guys are putting their hearts and souls and time and money into this game. And imagine what morale's like at the next uh, next level game's office when the video... <laughs> We're making something people hate. Well, I mean, think about it. Because the trailer has, like, six... Uh, I think it's 6,000 up, like, thumbs up on YouTube. And 60,000 thumbs down. Damn. Like... How does that... I mean, if you don't like the game, you don't have to play the game. And nothing's... No one's saying... Nobody is saying that... Yeah, um, like having to go into work every day knowing that you're working on something that... That people hate. hate yeah. And the thing I don't get is nobody said <laughs> there's not going to be a real Metroid Prime. Nintendo's capable of spin-offs. It's not like Mario Tennis is announced and everyone's like, well, they're not. They're making another Mario 3D World, I guess. <laughs> like, they're totally independent. I don't understand. Like, Next Level Games makes handheld games. Tanabe had a vision, as I explained with the Luigi's Mansion comparison... And Didn't the Next Level Games make a sports game? They made Strikers. Yeah. Yeah. They also made Punch-Out. But they don't just make handheld games. No, but I'm saying these days they're focusing on handheld. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, Tanabe had this vision, but I want to do a four-player Metroid, kind of like how they turned Luigi's Mansion into that. I want to do that for Metroid. And they are like, hey, we're available. And they did it. Like, it's not like this means one won't happen. And the thing is, like, Nintendo hears you. You don't need to make a petition. Reggie said in an interview with, I think it was GameSpot. Yeah, it was GameSpot. That Nintendo knows... They get instant feedback. When they had the events happen, you know, like the uh, the digital event, the Treehouse Live, they actually monitor social media in real time. They see reactions. They see the however many thousand down, you know, uh, thumbs down, and they respond. The reason it was... said exactly what you said. What? Like Reggie said it. Pretty much exactly Verbatim, what you said. really? Huh. Um, yeah, he thought, like, like, oh, you know what happened also? Um, 2000 whatever, Wind Waker. When that Wait, happened. I know he made that comparison to Kotaku, but, I don't know, I was watching a video interview, and he pretty much said the exact same thing, like, like people are loving that game, like... But like, it's true! You know. Like, it, even if... Okay, I guess I'm... I guess Reggie and I share a mind, but it's... We're <laughs> the same person. Great minds think alike. But no, it's totally true. Like, those are game. Like, I don't know why people are assuming one means the other something. And they are trying to address it. Like, Reggie said in the interview I saw, or read, I don't remember, that, um... Well, how do you word it? Oh, yeah, we saw the feedback, and we realized there was some confusion about the game so we rolled it out during Treehouse Live to explain it and it, I mean it worked on me when we saw the game in the digital event I'm like what is this like and then when I saw the, the Treehouse Live event I'm like oh this is what this is okay it's not really Metroid but it's kind of a cool spin on Metroid but meanwhile there's some people that are just like rage quitting the entire franchise because like it's not what they wanted which you know what that's fine I guess but it's not like a Metroid Prime 4 won't happen to not be told Eurogamer specifically I have ideas for Metroid Prime 4 it's gonna be on one planet. It's gonna have all time travel, kind of like Metro Prime Two. Time travel. Yeah, that's a. It's gonna be. It's gonna a, be like. What do you call it? Shaky sensitive subject. Yeah, well, time that's travel. what he said. Or he's like, he like to dabble in time travel or something. But he had all these ideas. He's like, yeah, like I have all these ideas. It's probably gonna be on the huh? NX. It's to make Metro Other Run never happen. Essentially, he had to travel back in time to before it was approved. Uh, it's never. Although I, I like other end, but no, no, um, I like it too. Okay. Yeah, but it's it's never. You know, he was saying like it's probably gonna be on the NX at this point because of how long the development cycle is. But that doesn't mean it's first of all it's not confirmed. He's kind of spitballing. But more to the point, see guys, Federation Force can happen and Metroid Prime Four can happen. I don't think Next Level Games is gonna build Metroid Prime Four. So it's not like it's not like it's not you know one's canceling out the other here. But but you know if that's what people need to blow some steam, I I guess just I feel like they should give it a chance more. You know. I think the I think the knee jerk reaction is a little ridiculous. That that's pretty much it. Yeah, but that's just my my two cents. And I mean, I'm, I know people are gonna be like, "Well, you're just a Nintendo fanboy, so of course you're gonna say that." But it's like, 
if if Marvel and like Marvel amounts, I kind of am, but, <laughs> but I like I feel like I'm critical enough of them. But like when Marvel announced Ant Man, let's say, or you know what, when Edgar Wright left Ant Man, it's not like people were like, well, never watching a Marvel movie again. They didn't make the Edgar Wright Ant Man I wanted to see, so I'm out. No more Marvel movies. Like they're just like, okay, I won't see that movie if I'm not interested in that movie. So why can't people do that with video games? Why are they like, well, I'm Metro's over. Screw Metro. It's like. No one went, well, Ant-Man's out. Avengers is going to suck because Ant-Man's by a different director. Like, it's still... There could still be what you want. Just, you got to sit back, I guess. And I guess their concern is, why do I have to sit back? Why don't I have it now? <laughs> Nintendo's in a transitional period. They're not going to invest a ton of money into a Wii U game, and you don't want Metro Prime 4 on a 3DS because it's not going to be as atmospheric. So this is more of a sidestep than a misstep, and I think people need to relax. And that's my two cents. But while we're talking about Reggie interviews, uh, he also talked to some other well-known outlets with some interesting things to say. So, continuing, I guess, the Kotaku conversation, because that's where he was making the Wind Waker comparison that I saw, now that I think about it, was Kotaku. Um, he brought up the Amiibo situation. Ah, good old Amiibo. Yeah, so, um... No, it seems to be getting better. Yes, I, that's I, what he was saying. Like you've seen tweets left and right about like, oh, Wii Fit Trainer got restocked. Wii Fit Trainer came back. DDD shipments went out. Shulk shipments went out. Marth was already back. Villager has me, three print in the oh. in the U.S. now at Nintendo World at least. It's getting better. Maybe you finally get your DDD. Yeah, I don't know if I care anymore. I'm getting my Nest from Europe. Finally, <laughs> it shipped. Uh, but yeah, what Reggie was saying is that. Um, he th he also thinks things are getting better, but of course he gets that. He's spinning. But what's interesting is he gave a number. He he called out, without even being asked, he called out that people are saying it's artificial shortages. And he's like, you know what? By the way, these are not artificial shortages. In the last month alone, we sold a million. If we're making shortages, how do we... If, like, if we're choosing to not have them available, how are we selling a million? They're just selling out. And you could argue, well, maybe your shortage is like 1.2 million. Maybe that's your threshold. But uh, he, he was saying that, like, this... This is a sign that things are getting better. That they sold a million in a month. It, it, that's that's crazy. They've sold 10.8 million worldwide as of March, and they sold a million more here in the U.S. alone in a month. That's that's pretty good. Um, and it's also um, it's also interesting that like they're being very candid about how they go about doing this now. Like they used to only say like, oh yeah, we're we're you know we're evaluating the market, yeah yeah. Reggie was telling, I think it was CNET, where he's like, yeah, what we're doing is we're making an estimate, and then we double or triple that estimate, and that's what we go with when we ship it. Like, we have, like, we think it's going to sell, I can't remember the So they thought they were going to sell yeah. one of one Amiibo, and then they just triple it, so now they're... No, they go, like, okay, well, based on the trends we're seeing, should we assume, yeah, we'll assume that, like, we'll sell 200 Marths, or whatever. And it's like, you know what? Triple that, just to be safe. And then they still sell out. So it's not entirely their fault. I mean, Scott Moffat, who's Nintendo's VP of uh, Sales and Marketing? Sales and Marketing. He, um, he was saying, I think it was to... Games Industry Up is or one of those sites and here's an interview from E3 he was saying that like, yeah when we do the Amiibo estimates it's not just us like throwing darts at a board and hoping whatever sticks sticks he was explaining that they use like they do pre-sale numbers they look at Google search trends they have like tons of different metrics that they combine and once they're combined Reggie's not saying they then double or triple those and that's the number they go with and even then they're still selling out so it's kind of nice that Nintendo finally opened the door a little and showed us like how they determine these things and are they BSing us maybe a little I don't know but it's they're certainly saying more than they used to and they are being more on top of telling us when restocks are available so it's progress where does Bowser fit into all this oh Doug Bowser yeah he is their new I don't remember what oh, he he he's with, a new VP he has something to do with sales though or marketing I think no. he might be a sales and marketing VP I think he's the guy that, that this um, 
Charles, uh, who did I just say the name of? Charles. What? Did I say, did I say Charles? Okay, first of all, it's Scott Moffat. I don't know why I said Charles. Scott Moffat is who I just talked about with the, the pre-sale numbers and stuff. But yeah, I think Scott, I don't know who Doug Bowser's control. I just know that his name's Bowser and he works at Nintendo. <laughs> and he has a Mario Luigi tied up in the back. Oh, also, his, that, his Twitter yeah. handle is the real Bowser, which is pretty great. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. So I think I think it's nice to see that there is progress being made with Amiibo. I mean, we've been... I think we're finally at the point where I could say there's light at the end of the tunnel here. Like, we've essentially bitched and moaned about Amiibo since they came out. Maybe, like, as of January. And it seemed like it was getting worse with Wave 4. And we went a whole tirade, both of us, you and me. Well, it was, it only, it's, well, for us, it started at Wave 4, the complaint. Because no, what, the complaint was back in, like, March. We were talking about it for a while. Well, I mean, about what's going on. Like, I, did, like, I, like, I didn't, like, start feeling pressured until Wave 4. Your complaining started Wave 4. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But, but now it seems like they're making progress. There is kind of light at the end of the tunnel, like I was saying. Because we're getting to the point where, like, not only is Nintendo saying... I mean, I have 4 from Wave 5 right now. Yeah, which is crazy because it's not even out here yet. We don't have a release date here. But, um, what? No, nothing. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's just crazy because, like, we went from Nintendo not knowing what's going on to Nintendo explaining to us, okay, here's how we estimate, here's how we're doubling, we've sold a million, we're shipping more, to Nintendo then announce, you know, announcing a game like Animal Crossing, uh, Amiibo Festival, which is the first to require Amiibo. So if Nintendo's at the point where they're making games that require Amiibo, that means they're actually legitimately confident and not just PRBSing us that they are reaching the end of the tunnel in this situation. So I'm, I'm very confident... <laughs> And hopeful that this fall, all those like 75 Amiibo that were scattered around Nintendo's booth or however many it was when I was at E3, I'm hoping that those will be in stores for anyone to grab. The Yoshi, the Game & Watch, the whatever, uh, the Chibi, well Chibi Robo well. The Mario. The Mario's, the, like all that should hopefully be readily available because the Mario's actually like super cool. They're bigger than your average Amiibo. Yeah, they're and they're super blocky mm-hmm. and they look neat. Chibi Robo's very shiny. Game & Watch I'm super excited for for the swappable stuff. Um, the Smash Bros. ones all. You're going to open it? Probably maybe. I guess <laughs> I will. I don't know. I have a weird thing where I can't decide if I should open them or not. Like some of mine are open, some aren't. I just don't know what to do. But yeah, it's um, <laughs> makes sense. It I makes know no I sense. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it, we're getting there. It's getting better. It gets better. It got better. So we'll we'll see where it goes this summer with Wave Five. But. The Yokai Watch. Oh, double that game. You know, funny you should mention it, because I did, uh, Reggie did talk about it in, um, I think it was to IGN. Oh, what a coincidence. Yeah, it's almost like, it's almost like you have an outline or something. No? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so your Koi Watch, over at IGN, Reggie was talking about your Koi Watch and his interview with them, and what's interesting about that is, I think it was, I think it was last episode, we were all like, what's Nintendo's big, like, 3DS game? Because they have, like, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, Super Mystery Dungeon, they have Chibi Robo, they have, I'm blanking out what else they have, um, and they have your Koi Watch, and all of those are just, like, yeah, October holiday, somewhere in there. You'll have a game to play, sure. And it, I think, I, it might have been one of you, maybe it was me who made the comment, like, so Mystery Dungeon's their big 3DS game this year? Like, seriously? Pokemon Mystery Dungeon? Well, it turns out, the Koi Watch is their big holiday game, and they're pushing it hard. So what Reggie was saying to... So you're saying we should all get it? I'm saying um, it's going to be the one we're going to see. It's going to be, you know how, like, the third week of November is their big game? Like, last year it was Smash Bros. on uh, on Wii U, two years ago it was 3D World, and A Link Between Worlds on 3DS and Wii, Wii U and 3DS. This year, for 3DS at least, the game they're really pushing is going to be Okoi Watch. Like, they're trying to do a Pokemon 2 here. Like, they're trying to recreate the 90s craze. So um, what he was saying is that Level 5 is doing most of the translation for it because it's their game technically, but Nintendo's stepping in and being kind of. What a, does it start as? What? Was this a game first or a show? It was a both. 
<laughs> uh, level 5 has this interesting strategy in Japan. Show? It was. No, uh, Nintendo has a strategy, or sorry, level 5 has a strategy in Japan, cross-media launches. Little, uh, LB, LBX, is that the name of it? What's that robot game that Nintendo's releasing in August? Fighting Robot League? I don't know. Little Badlers Extreme, is that what it was? Yeah. LBX? Yeah. That was the, uh, one of the first attempts by level 5 to do this. It was not, it was not as uh, successful as your Koi Watch, but basically level 5 had this idea of, you know it would be great? Our games sell well. TV shows are popular. Toys are popular. Movies are popular. What if we could do all of that at the same time and make a ton of money? So every single launch they've done, the um, the soccer game, Azuma Eleven, Lil Battlers Extreme, uh, Yokoi Watch, all of these were their attempts to have a cross-media Pokemon-style mega-franchise. Yokoi Watch was the one that actually managed to succeed the most. There's so to answer your question, they planned popular. the anime... What? The soccer one seems to... In Europe and Japan yeah. is big, yes. In the U.S., not so much. But yeah, they, they basically planned the anime, the toys, and the t- and the uh, game all simultaneously and then rolled them out. It was like a one, two, three sort of punch, as I think Reggie put it in the interview. And that's what they want to do in the U.S. So Nintendo's consulting on how they can basically Pokemon it here in the States, which means the game's going to launch for the holidays, and Nintendo's going to push it hard. And the anime's going to launch around the same time on Disney XD. And the toys will be in early 2016, right after people get used to what the franchise is. And they're just going to keep rolling it out and keep pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. And the reason Nintendo's so invested in it is they see this as a system seller. They think to young kids, this plus a 2DS is going to be a huge holiday item, or has the potential to be a huge holiday item. Which, you kind of forget the 2DS is a thing, but it is a thing. It's under 100 bucks. get that in the game. I do keep forgetting it's a thing. Yeah. Every time I see one, I'm like, oh. You ever try to see yeah. one, I'm like, oh yeah, that exists. Yep. But, uh, yeah, so they're pushing it hard, and it could be big, but I think the two issues Nintendo needs to be wary of is, one, it's on Disney XD. <laughs> <laughs> now... I don't know how many people know about Disney XD in terms of the not what it is as a no, channel, funny. but what where I, it is as a channel. I, I, I end up running into Disney XD the most out of all the Disney channels, and yet it's on the fewest TVs. I know, yeah, it's just like that channel just always happens to like to pop up, like it's always yeah. the one that's running like Nintendo Christian. Like I don't know, it just ends up being on a lot for some reason. Yeah, but the thing that's kind of funny about that is like so basically, for those who don't know, Disney XD is a premium cable channel. It's not part of your basic cable; it's like the second tier. Um, Pokemon, when it launched, was on WB. WB was an over-the-air channel in many regions, and in, not, in, in some others it was a basic cable. In other words, the audience for Pokemon immediately was much larger than the audience for Disney XD is. Granted, Disney XD is a website where they show their shows. Granted, more people have more enhanced, more fancy cable packages. But you can't say, we're going to launch a show on Disney XD and, and expect it to have the same exposure that Pokemon had when it launched on Kids WB. Like, that's just not... <laughs> they're not comparable. How many Disney XD shows are phenomenal? Like, are big... Like, you can name, uh, like... Naruto's in it. Naruto's on it? On really? Disney XD, yeah. Wasn't he on Cartoon Network or at least, some point? Or at least it was. Was he on Cartoon Network at some point? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. That, that show keeps jumping around. Yeah, yeah. But if you look at, like... What, what about that one show? Gravity Falls is popular. There you go, Gravity but Falls. But it's niche. It's not... You can't say Gravity Falls is as big as Pokemon was, or as big as even Digimon was. It has its audience for Definitely sure. Definitely not as big as any of those. Yeah, and Nintendo's saying, well, Disney XD can get us your Koi Watch to that scale and size. And I don't know. I mean, maybe if they push the game hard and promote it on the other channels, yeah, but it's going to be a tougher sell. It's kind of wishful thinking, and they could think and they think they could be Pokemon. Now, they're not trying to beat Pokemon the idea, necessarily. Reggie never said the words, we want to make Pokemon again. But IGN posed the question of, so it looks like you guys are trying to Pokemon this, explain. And he's like, yeah, we're going to have a show, we're going to have an anime, you know, we're going to have a game. 
So it's clear that's what they're trying to do. If they're saying it's their holiday system seller, that's their goal here. So we'll see. The other issue to me, this is arguably a bigger one, is Nintendo's investing all this consulting time and money and localization and advertising for a franchise they don't own. Level 5 at any time can just drop it, drop Nintendo and take the game to iOS and Android or take the game somewhere else. They own it. Pokemon, Nintendo owns 50, 49%. Pokemon Company owns 51%. So Game Freak's somewhere in there. So like Nintendo has that locked down pretty much. But what's to stop Level 5 from going, oh yeah, your core watch did great on 3DS. In order to even do better on iPad and take it somewhere. And IGN posed the question to Reggie. And I mean, because to be clear, Level 5 has done this. Layton 7, Professor Layton 7 is only on iPhone. So what's to stop them from doing it again now? And and they posed the question to Reggie, IGN did, and he's like, yeah, well, you know, we're... we're trust <laughs> no, he's like, we're confident that, uh... We're confident they won't. <laughs> That's essentially what he said. But it was just like, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, we have a strong partnership, and we think everyone realizes the value of that. It's like, yeah, until they see iPads or iPhone sales, and then they're like, bye. <laughs> but it's just... They don't always look like this. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then so they said, but what, that, what about, like, mobile? And he's like, well, if you look at kids, like, they have to use their parents' iPhone. Most seven-year-olds don't have an iPad of their own, but they do, like, you know have a 2DS. Nah, I see a lot of kids at airports that have someone's yeah, tablet. Yeah, a lot of kids who have yeah. tablets and so, touch yeah, device. Almost every kid now, that granted, school exactly, has one. Exactly, right? And granted... Most of them don't have a 3DS, actually. Yeah, exactly. And granted... Or 3DS. It, to Reggie's credit, he's right that, like, you know, maybe there is a value in having a button, a system with buttons for a game like this. It probably does help, but there is no real reason, unless there's a contract he's not, he's neglecting to mention. There's no real reason why Level Five can't ultimately say, "Well, Nintendo, we appreciate your Pokemon expertise. We appreciate the how many millions of dollars in marketing you did on our behalf. Now that we're established, we're gonna go over there to Cupertino. We'll see you later." Like it's there's, it's just it's such a bigger gamble than Pokemon. It just it strikes me as weird that Nintendo's putting all their eggs in this basket, but we'll see. Maybe I'll do great. Maybe level five will never leave. But but that's that the only thing. That's the only real reason I brought up uh, your core watch. I guess the other reason actually was for a game that's supposedly Nintendo's big holiday title. It was nowhere to be found in their booth. It wasn't. In fact, no. many games by Nintendo were nowhere to be found in Nintendo's booth. And this is one of the things. This is one of the things that like E three you don't think about if you're not there because you're like, oh look at all the gameplay from the show floor. Look what Trios Live showed. And they're like, wait a minute. How come walking around, I never saw um, Pokemon Super Mystery Dungeon? How come Xenoblade Chronicles X was only on a TV screen, looping a trailer in the corner of the booth? Why wasn't there a single demo unit where that TV stand was? Like, wh why? How come uh, Animal Crossing had no playable games on the show floor? Happy Home Designer? Not there. Amiibo Festival? Nope. All they have were the cards and the figurines. Or how come Fail Frame... Uh, oh, what's its subtitle? What was Fail Frame subtitle? Made in the Black Water. They had a sizzle reel running on one of the TVs, but that was it. And where was Bravely, uh, Bravely Second? Why wasn't that there? They had Mario Luigi. They clearly can play 3DS RPGs in the booth. <laughs> Why didn't they? And where's Devil's Third? Like, all these games, like, half of Nintendo's life, oh, they yeah, kept I mean, saying... Some of them weren't even on the Direct. I know. They kept saying... Well, Devil's Third's a weird one, but they kept saying that they have, like, 14 games coming out this year. It's going to be great. 14 Nintendo launches from now to the end of the year. The booth had maybe six. Where are the others? Like, why wouldn't they showcase them? If everyone, they're embarrassed. Like, if everyone's freaking out about, like, oh, Nintendo's have good games this year, at least show all your games so people can really assess it. Uh, although, I don't think people are saying the game quality is bad. I think they're just saying the concepts of the games aren't good. But Because they don't know it's bad, then they don't buy it. I mean, if they but know they're not it's bad. bad. Like, 
Animal Crossing Happy Home Desire could demo just fine. They demo New Leaf without problem. I could get Amiibo Festival not being there for the reason you said. Mm -hmm. And I can get, uh, I guess I can get Xenoblade kind of not being there because that's a meaty demo. Like how you show that in 15 minute chunks, you don't. But, like, they showed Mario Luigi Paper Jam with no problems. They could definitely show Brave the Second. Like, I, it just struck me as really weird how, like, little there was of some of the games. In fact, um, in the case of Fatal Frame... Well, Fatal Frame actually kind of makes sense, because it sounds like that might be eShop only. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen, but if you go to Nintendo.com and look up Fatal Frame for Wii U, it has the orange... Like, the box art is the game title screen with the orange border around it. They only do that for eShop exclusives. So it's possible that Nintendo's saying, well, you know what? There's not a big enough market for this. Retailers aren't interested. We're just going to put it out there for fans that want and charge 40 bucks or whatever. Which is a fine strategy. And one that I have to ask, why aren't they doing that for Devil's Third? Mm. What are you going to say? Well, I mean, that's cool, but... I mean, because okay, at least we'll get it. No. I mean, no, I'm, I'm, fine, with, I'm, I'm fine with that because I mean, at least we'll get it. Yeah. But I personally don't like... Um, not, games that don't have, like, a super... I don't like single-player adventure games as a download. Oh, I would prefer a retail release, too, but if they went to retail and they one... said, your market's not here for this, like, if they said, we're not going to carry this, no one's going to buy it, then putting it on the eShop's at least a good alternative. No, no, Because no. up to, a lot oh, no, of yeah, this is up to the, yeah, that's like, that, like, like, I'm, not, I'm not complaining, it's just yeah. like, yeah. It's, it's kind it's, of a bummer. Yeah, it's just one of those that's like, oh, well, there goes a lot of space, and then... Yeah. I think the bigger bummer and weirdness, though, and then is... I don't like to, and then I don't like to have to delete it later, because then it's like... But you can always re-download it. I know, but... The, the more concerning yeah. one to me than even Fatal Frame, because at least we're getting Fatal Frame. It feels even less tangible, because at least, like, games like... Like, always has a bunch of yeah. AAA downloaded games on the 3DS that make sense, like Smash Bros., Monster Hunter, Animal Crossing, because all those, like, pretty much live on forever until you're done with them. Right, right. It's not like this one where, like, oh, where you're done. Yeah. I guess... Nothing more free to play. I mean, Just I guess it. it's... <laughs> yeah, but better than having it not... Like, I'd rather them do that than nothing. So. No, no, yeah, that's something. But, yeah, it does kind of... The, the weirder one, to me, is Devil's Third. So right before E3, it was announced for Europe and Japan. This is the game from uh, Itagaki, or however you say his name, you know, the formerly of Team Ninja. Got a pause for sunglasses. No. Pioneer of the jiggle physics. No? no. Oh, okay. <laughs> Now you know. Now I know. Uh, <laughs> so he made this third-person action game. It has an online component. You're trying to, like, stop some sort of U.S. invasion. It's called Devil's Third. It was announced for Japan and Europe right before E3, coming in August. Nintendo America? Nothing. Not a word. And here's what's weird about it. Someone, I think it was Nintendo World Report. Yeah, it was Nintendo World Report, report as Nintendo's Director of Corporate Communications, Charlie, uh... Sheen? Charlie Shibeta. <laughs> no, not Sheen. Yes, they asked Charlie Sheen. He's like, Tiger's blood and whatever. No, Charlie Shibeta, where the game is. Like, what's up with Devil's Third? And his answer, verbatim, I don't have any for you, anything for you on Devil's Third. Sorry. Now, a year ago, Nintendo America showed it off at Treehouse Live. A year ago, they announced it was coming to the Wii U. It's not coming to the Wii U everywhere by America. Why? Mm -hmm. Where did it go? Why aren't they releasing it? There is a sh no one's gonna say there's too many Wii U games to play. That is a non-issue. <laughs> so why do an eShop only release? You have the game translated in English, British English, but English. Just bring it over. That's what they did with Xenoblade when they handed it off to uh, Exceed or whoever it was. Like, or no, they ended up publishing it themselves. It was last story they handed off. Yeah. But why? Why aren't you releasing this Nintendo? You could use the game well, it's a high profile developer well dumb dumb Nintendo but uh, yeah it's just so weird because this game had such a weird backstory in that like it was announced that I think it's announced back by THQ in like 2010 or 11 and then THQ got, THQ got shut down in 2013 and the game was in limbo 
And Tom picks it up in 2014. Now it's 2015, and Tom's like, yeah, it's great for the rest of the world, not good for here. The last time they did this was Disaster Day of Crisis. Remember that Wii game that oh, came yeah. out here? And apparently the game wasn't that great. But it's like, you don't have anything else to release. It costs you nearly nothing to put it on the eShop and throw one banner ad for it on, like, IGN. Like, why... Wouldn't it cost them more if it bombs? Well, no, because they're not producing discs. Oh, they have nothing to lose. I mean, maybe they'll lose a couple hundred bucks. Or a couple... They don't even need to do an ad campaign. Put it on the eShop, put out a press release, and let gamers talk amongst themselves on social media. It'll sell <laughs> 200 copies that wouldn't have sold otherwise, because it doesn't exist currently. But it's just like Itagaki, or whatever his name is, was saying... Um, I feel bad, like, dismissively being like, whatever his name is, was saying on his Facebook page that, like, they're... It's coming. They're working something out. But he left a... It was very vague. It was very cryptic. And they got Nintendo going, like, I don't know. Can't talk about it. It's like, what are you doing, Nintendo? You need every game you can get. And I get it. It's not your core demographic for the Wii U anymore. You're not trying to go after the core gamers like you were, were at first. You're going after, like, Splatoon people and Mario Kart people and Smash Bros. people. Core gamers, but family-friendly games. But who cares? Just put it on the eShop. Sell five copies and you'll make, you know, 200 bucks. There you go. Like, unless it's, like, the server, they have to run up a new server just to host the game. But I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Like, I guess the server cost, maybe. But it's just it's just so bizarre to me that they're doing this. And I feel like there are a couple things at E3 that are really bizarre. Double Star being probably the most. Because I'd be curious about the game. I don't know if I'd buy it, but I want to at least have the opportunity to say no to it. Play it for <laughs> have the opportunity to turn it down. But I'm not even given that. But some other weird stuff that Nintendo said. Um, these were in an interview with Polygon, with Reggie. Uh, apparently, remember last episode we were talking about how the digital event had some not-so-great feedback, and Iwata tweeted an apology saying they're listening to feedback of, you know, please do better understand. in the future. He did, please understand. Well, Reggie said he wasn't please under, he wasn't apologizing. Reggie says what Iwata said, which, by the way, we interpreted as like, oh, we, you know, we hear you and we're going to do better. And what Reggie said was the case is the correct translation of the message is, thank you for your feedback. We, we, uh, oh, hold on. I'm wrong. <gasps> what I said... Jason's wrong. What I said is what Reggie said he said. What we originally translated as was an actual apology. Reggie says he said, We hear you and we are committed to continuing to meet your expectations. Continuing. Not apologizing. We're continuing to meet your expectations. As in, we succeeded in doing so, and now we plan to continue. The original tweet that's translated by, like, not Nintendo, was something along the lines of, We hear you and we will work better to meet your expectations. I don't think those words are the same in, J in Japanese. I'm pretty sure Reggie's massaging the message. And it's just like, why can't you just admit that maybe it wasn't as smooth as you wanted? I get it. You're PR. You're a PR guy. I mean, you're, you're COO, but you're, you're doing PR. You have to spin it positively. But you know what they could say? They could easily have been like, you know, we heard some fans. Um, we're, we're helping to clear up confusion like we're doing Metro Prime F uh, Federation Force. And going forward, we plan to try and be extra transparent and better meet the, you know, what fans want to see. Instead of being like, we're perfect, they're crazy, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, it's okay to take a small hit. Like, everyone outside Nintendo's aware of that. You could still say, we, I feel we have a ton of great games coming out, I'm really excited for XYZ, but I can understand that, you know, this isn't, they're not going to say it's not a big of a year, but, you know, I can understand that some people were expecting things that weren't there, and we promised we're going to deliver those eventually, you know, like Zelda in 2016. Like, there's ways you can skirt around it without saying you're wrong, without, time, without basically belittling I want his comments. I don't know. It just struck me as very weird. But, um... And the upside is if you do admit you're listening, you don't even have to say you did something wrong. Just be like, oh yeah, we hear the fans, we're listening to the fans, and we always listen to the fans and their feedback to, you know, to make better experiences. There's zero admission of fault there, 
and it doesn't make it sound like Nintendo's perfect. Because everyone knows Nintendo's not perfect. Like, everyone at E3 knew this was kind of an eh year. Even at the booth, they knew that. <laughs> like, it was a known thing. Like, everyone was having fun playing games, but, like, just chatting with people, it was a, everyone was like, yeah, Nintendo's kind of weird this year. Like, the games are fun, but, like, whatever. <laughs> but, yeah, like, it's a known thing. So I don't know why he has to, like, put up that defense. I don't know. It's kind of a pet peeve when he does that. But it's like in 2008. Someone said, is Animal Crossing really your big holiday game this year? Like, what do you have for the core? The core gamers. And his response was, the core gamers love Animal Crossing. That's all they need. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yes, it's, it is it is a fun game for core gamers, but I don't think it's comparable to Smash Bros. or Mario Kart or Mario 3D World. Yeah, maybe. In some ways, yes. In many ways, no. Uh, but yeah, so that was weird comment number one I wanted to draw attention to. Number two was a stranger one. He had things to say about virtual reality. Every interview, the one from Polygon's the most like, dramatic quote, but every interview was like, so, why doesn't Nintendo have virtual reality? Like, Project Morpheus is here, HoloLens is here, Oculus is here, where are you? And, uh, oh, to be, since we're talking about Project Morpheus real quick, um, actually, no, we'll save it for after the quote. So, his, his response was, just go read it. We have knowledge of the technical space, and we've been experimenting with that, this for a long, long time, this being VR. Uh, what we believe is that in order for the technology to move forward, you need to make it fun and you need to make it social. I haven't walked the floor. That's the key part. I haven't walked the floor. So I could, so I can't say in terms of what's on the floor today, but at least based on what I've seen to date, it's not fun and it's not social. It's just tech. You know, Reggie, if you walked across the aisle from your booth, <laughs> literally directly across, and then weaved through about two demo rows of PlayStation games, there was a huge Project Morpheus display. And if you walked around the side of it, there were open, there were like rooms with open walls. And you could watch people in their dystopian future with their blue helmets play. <laughs> it, no, it was the weirdest thing. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you about it in a sec. But you could watch these people play these games in a social way. Sony, I believe, was showing off multiplayer uh, Morpheus games. It's not much different than how the gamepad works. Some people are doing stuff with controllers. One person was in VR doing something else. It's asymmetric gameplay. And you can still hear people, by the way. It's asymmetric gameplay just the asymmetric component happened to be on your face instead of in your hands. Hmm. I'm not saying that he's, he's not necessarily wrong, that maybe it's not as fun as some other experiences, maybe it is more tech than less tech, but everything he said sounded like what VR was a year ago. Like, I've tried the Oculus before. You guys have tried the Oculus before. Um, yeah, it's either like true. a weird retrofit of, like, a shooter, or at least as of a year or two ago, or it's one where, like, you're on a track, like the one I played at Indiecade a few years ago. You're on a track, you're a pink elephant, you have a big trunk, for a nose, and if you swing your head around, you can knock down building blocks next to you as you go down the track. That's the whole game. So Reggie's absolutely right. There's nothing inherent. It's cool, but I couldn't play it for more than two minutes. So yeah, there's nothing inherently like fun about that. There's nothing really social about that. You're just it's tech. But if you go over to Sony or you go look at Hololens, there was a little more meat yeah, on Hololens those bones. Is pretty now. cool. Although Hololens is tricky, they trick you with Hololens. All the footage they show of Minecraft is like, whoa, it's like 360 right in front of you. The whole thing is in front of you once you put on the glasses you only see a small window you can look over the window and still be in the glass like you move your eye above like the frame so to speak it's like an invisible frame it's like you know those invisible um, no 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 i know what you mean yeah and then so like the, the, the illusion shattered if you look to the side for example or if you look slightly above where you're supposed to look well i mean that makes sense well not really because the way they present yes it does but the way they present it with those special cameras is you are totally immersed in a world you're not if you if I'm like watching if I want to play Minecraft I'm like oh it's on the TV on the side the the virtual TV on the sidewall and I kind of glance my eyes over without turning my head I will look past where the window ends still be in the glasses frame by the way but like sneak my eye in between the lens and the frame 
and not see anything. I actually have to move my whole head and my whole point of view and go, okay, 90 degree turn, dead ahead, yes, there's a screen there. If I try and, you know, wiggle my eyes around a little, you, you break the illusion. What's in the frame, what's in that illusion is amazing. What's outside the illusion is kind of like, why can't they fill the whole field of view? And I'm not saying it's the glasses frame, it's not. It's within the glasses frame that you can see this, like, window and where it ends. Yeah. That's what's weird. But, um, but yeah, like, there is, uh, what was I starting to say? Oh yeah, there's meat on the bones of VR this year, I feel like. And I feel like Reggie's comment where it's like, it's not fun, it's not social, it's just like, dude, go look at the dystopian future in <laughs> Project Morpheus booth. Which I said I'd get back to what if, he's, what if he's just an old-timer? He hasn't, he admitted he didn't even walk the floor, so why is he making these comments? Why, again, why, I understand he's a PR dude, and Miyamoto echoed those comments to uh, Yahoo Games. He was saying something like, you know, games that we, our philosophy is making living room experiences, uh, you can play together in a living room, you can't really do that with VR. Again, please, just walk over to Sony and look. Now, I still think VR is overhyped, I've said this on the show a few times, I still think people are not going to inherently be like, I can't wait to go home and put my helmet on and play some video games. Like, it's just like, it's such <laughs> a extra step. You'd be surprised. I would, and I have a feeling it might actually be big. But, like, just the idea of, like, oh, yeah, I'll just, especially, like, the, the Oculus, it's like, yeah, let me play Xbox. I'll put my helmet on and step in my virtual living room and play on my <laughs> virtual TV. Like, no. It's like virtual that. girlfriend. Exactly. Like, a virtual life full on. But, but if you go over to Sony. <laughs> virtual job. You get virtually fired. You just never leave your house. <laughs> But yeah, if you go over, if you went to Sony's, virtual depression, <laughs> if you want a real depression once you take it off, if you went over to Sony's booth, like it was weird because like you go over there and they had like four rooms like in pods, like it was like a big weird. structure and it was like four rooms that were missing a wall and you're like looking in this room where it's like it's like a living room. It looks like a living room and there's like all these people sitting and they're just wearing Morpheus, just staring at nothing, and it looked like it looked like some sort of weird like Blade Runner. Like, the, I'm sure the tech is super awesome, but just standing outside of it, looking at what looked like a cut... Like, it looked like it was, like, a dollhouse, like, the first floor of a dollhouse. And they just removed the walls so you could, like, see what's going on inside. And all you saw were people sitting with helmets, staring at blank walls. <laughs> and the helmets were glowing. And I was like, this is the future, isn't it? Like, this is... We're all gonna become, like, cyborg, weird, like, never-leave-our-helmet people. It was, it was either a Daft Punk, like, uh, casting call, or some sort of, like, iRobot, they're taking us over like crazy it was bizarre it was it, like the morpheus looks awesome in person i got it was behind glass and i kind of lit up and everything it looked really nice but seeing on people's heads and like this weird dollhouse cut out i'm just like what what is this <laughs> i feel like it was like 2052 or something it was so so weird hololens they did not have a big display like that they had it previewable but i could not find where but it's just like morpheus is bizarre um but yeah my, my point was again nintendo why can't you just not say negative like why, they could have very easily just been like, yeah, um, VR, you know, it's something other companies are doing. figured it out. We all feel like it's something that fits our type of game best, uh, but we are always exploring possibility. And keep in mind, we were first in the field with the Virtual Boy, and we were also first with AR with 3DS. So, you know, we're always experimenting. We're excited to do. We're excited to look into it more, but as of right now, it does not match our game philosophy. Do you think it would be a great market? See how much nicer that is than saying, like, it's not fun. Like, it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Stop. Do you think it's a good so. marketing move to... Uh, if they ever make one to call it the Virtual Boy? That's Two. probably the worst marketing move they could ever do. You know what they should call it? They should call it the, the Wii VR. I'm sure that was some bucket loads of nothing. <laughs> the Wii name is dead. They should just, they should, they should stop making video games. They should stop, yeah. No, but uh, yeah, so that's the only other thing I thought was kind of a weird But comment. only finish Metro Prime Federation Force. Yes, yes, they have to finish Metro Prime Federation Force and launch it on the Virtual Boy Wii VR. Yeah. The Virtual Wii. Star Fox, you're in the cockpit. 
See, that would be cool. And that's why I understand where, where Nintendo's like, oh, well, we make social experiences our fun. It's like, okay, so let me just understand oh, this correctly. You, have a, you have a game for Wii U, Star Fox Zero, that you said is single-player oriented, and yeah, it has a co-op mode, but not really. It's single-player oriented, and you're focusing on single-player, not doing multiplayer, and you're in a, you have a cockpit view on the gamepad where the whole point is to be in the experience, and you're telling me that what Morpheus is doing across the aisle from you would not be applicable to this and make sense and be fun. Is that what you're saying? Like, it just seems like, I don't, like I said, I don't think VR is necessarily going to blow up, but, like, it's weird that they are, it's clearly marketing speak, I think. But it's just weird that there's, like, that disconnect. I don't know. I guess but, with Miiverse, every Nintendo game is the social experience, no matter how single true. player they are. That's true. Imagine Miiverse in a VR space, you're just walking through endless streams of just, like, stupid comments <laughs> and nice drawings. <laughs> but, uh, you know what, let's end on a positive note. I was kind of bashed. I, first of all, E3 was really fun, don't get me wrong, and the games are fun, and there's lots to be excited for, but Nintendo mm-hmm. also made some kind of progressive announcements in the last couple of days that I don't think anyone really expected, but it was kind of cool, so especially given the news on Friday about uh, the legalization of same-sex marriage around the country, yeah. which a lot of people are... I'm just kidding. What did you say? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I was going to say that a lot of people are, you know, excited for, of course, there's a minority that's not into it, which is, you know, that's their right, so I'm, yeah. we're not trying to push a view or anything, I'm just... Saying Nintendo's doing something interesting, they preempted it by a, like two days or like a week, no, like a few days. Is that uh, Fire Emblem Fates, which is the new one for 3DS, is going to come with same-sex marriage built in. As you may recall, when Tomodachi Life launched, uh, there's a whole campaign, or right before it launched, there's a whole petitioning campaign to get Nintendo to put same-sex relationships in Tomodachi Life. And Nintendo's like, okay, okay, we hear you. The game's shipping in like two weeks. We can't code it that fast, but we'll do it going forward. We hear you. We'll, if there's a sequel, we'll do it. And then here comes Final Fantasy, or sorry, wow, here comes Fire Emblem, <laughs> and uh, now it has it. So Nintendo's actually listening. It's kind of it's kind of rare to see. It's kind of cool that Nintendo of all companies, a very, very set in its ways company, is actually doing this. And um, how it's going to work is here in the U.S. We are getting both versions of the game. So there is uh, the Birthright version and the Conquest version. <laughs> That's really what it's called. If you play Conquest, there's a ma- a male character. Um, hold on. Sorry. Okay, yeah, there's a male character that the game's player can have a uh, their character marry. Right? A relationship with? Basically. And in Birthright, there's a female character that you can marry. Now, if you beat the, one of those games and download the third you know, story extension DLC or buy the other game, in theory, you can have your male, ca- male character from Conquest go marry... Or your female... You can have it so you can put your character who's one gender from one game go marry the same gender of the character that you can ultimately marry in the other game. Does that make sense? Like, you can cross them over only after you beat it, but nonetheless, you can cross them over. So that's... It's kind of a kind of a, a weird, uh, convoluted way of supporting same-sex relationships, but <laughs> but it's nice that Nintendo's giving the option and they're not forcing anyone... To, I guess it kind of works in their favor because they're not forcing anyone to have to do it and they're not forcing anyone to not be able to do it. It kind of just it gives a choice, which is kind of all people are asking for. And... Um, yeah, Nintendo says that's because they want their gameplay experiences to reflect the diversity of the communities in which we operate. And under that note, uh, Happy Home Designer is going to have skin tones for the first time. Everyone, a, a handful of people complain when New Leaf came out that everyone's white. All the villagers so are there, white. Were different? You oh, can tan. That's you right. can tan. You can tan. This yeah. time, there's six or eight skin tones to choose from as you play. 
So Nintendo's actually listening. Yeah, same thing with Splatoon. Like the first thing it asks yes. you, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't default to boy or girl. Like it straight up asks you like boy or girl, and skin tone. Like it doesn't default to anything. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just think it's really cool. At Nintendo's like they first started doing this with gender stuff when they were like, oh yeah, half our players are women. Maybe we should. You know, Pokemon, yeah, like the default. I think at one point the boy was a default. You have to change it to girl. Yeah, but now they show them both simultaneously. Asks, and now they're going one step further. And I think it's really cool that like a company as set in its ways as Nintendo is actually being progressive about things for once like I, there aren't very many games that have a same sex relationship and then here comes Fire Emblem one you wouldn't even expect and they're like yeah no longer are we doing it we're going to tell you half a year before it comes out like we're that excited about I don't know if, if Fire Emblem of all things seems not that I left like, considering like, what I've heard it's about the first game like, you can't get married yeah because no, no, that game just sounds so relationship driven mm. it seems like it would kind of make sense also it has that Pokemon Ami weird mode where you can like bring the character into your room and poke them with your stylus that's yeah. literally what you do. That no, no, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was reading a, like a little blurb about it, and they were pointing out like, yeah, you could even have siblings poke at each other, and then they would, and then I would say, <laughs> and I said like, what would mom say about this? Yeah, it's, stuff like that. It's, yeah, so like, well, that undermines my whole point. Like, go Nintendo, you're progressive because now it's like you're slipping into incest now. Great, but uh, no, it, it just generally it's cool that Nintendo's doing stuff like this. It's unusual for them. It's it's a nice change of pace. And with that, that kind of does it for this episode. So. um Last episode, we didn't get to say this, but I did want to say thank you to everyone that's listening to the show. Me too. Do you want to say thank you as well, Elvis? No, you don't. Okay, mm-hmm. so Angel and I want to say thank you to everyone that's listening to the show. We've been going over 100 ep- Last episode was our 100th episode. This is 101. This is the start of the next chapter. And uh, mm-hmm. new music and all. But, uh, yeah, no, it means a lot that you guys have actually stuck around for all 100 or joined at any point on that 100 episode journey. It's, it's cool because, like, you know, we started this and we were just two guys. We're like, we want to talk about video games. We like video games. We're still basically just doing it. And then we're still basically doing that, but like people actually value what we say, apparently, or like to listen and not value it, but still listen. I, I don't know. But either way, it's really cool that you guys are actually listening, and we appreciate it. Did you see it. the character intro of the chick in Final Fantasy? Damn it, Jason. <laughs> You're welcome. Fire Emblem. The like, character intro was like super like sexual. Fire Emblem? Oh, oh, Fire Emblem for Wii U? No, 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 for the new one. Oh, I, oh, yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. it was all over my Twitter. People were doing vines of it. I was looking at Twitter at work, and then that popped up just the vine that one moment. I'm like, yeah, I need to close that browser. <laughs> but uh, that's not working. Save it for later. That's not working. <laughs> put it, put it. Let me get that link down, put it on my clipboard. And your reading list? Put my reading you? list, my pocket app. But uh, anyway, thank you for derailing my heartfelt <laughs> thank you with... with it came to sex, <laughs> drugs, and rock and roll. No, uh, but seriously, um, thank you everyone. Keep who's it young. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, thank you everyone who's listening. It does mean a lot. And like, you know, we started this off as just like a little, like we're going to talk about video games, and we still do, but we've been able to do a lot more. The indie thing we went to on Wednesday, we were able to get into because we have the site and we have you guys, like being able to cover events and put up extra, like we have editorials now, and like people are reading those, and that's exciting to actually be able to like, share that sort of thing or photo galleries or vidbit videos which we should probably step on the gas with a little um all of that is because you guys are making it possible so thank you it's it's cool that we've been able to do it for this, I don't know this why are we clapping <laughs> but um, and you know what we're a real the only real way to say thank you is of course to give you things free things so all summer long as i said at the top of the show we are doing what we're calling the summer giveaway series every single episode from now till the end of summer we are giving something away, and we are kicking it off with a sealed mint Robin Amiibo, which is one of the harder ones to get. So, like I said, every single time we're going to do a different thing, and sometimes we're going to do multiple multiple prizes for a single episode. So you definitely want to make sure you stay tuned. Um, to enter to win Robin, all you got to do is go to this episode at ramtown.com. It's episode 101, 
if you're trying to teen hands on and leave a comment. Should you post a picture to prove to people that you have it? Why don't you post a sure there'll be a picture. <laughs> There's only a post a picture. Well there'll be a picture. Whatever. We you have can it. You can do whatever you want. What? You can do whatever they want. Not to enter. If they want to oh, enter, they gotta do this. No, no. Enter. I'm kinda curious to see how you would take a picture of it. It's a box. How? I don't know. I'm mm. probably not gonna take a picture. Just believe me, it's real. And you know what? If you win and you don't get a Robin, then you could like <laughs> sue us, I guess. I don't know. But um, crap, I just opened the door for lawsuits. Uh, but no, go to ramtown.com. Go to episode 101 <laughs> and leave a comment on that page telling us your favorite game from E3. That's all we're asking. Just what did you walk away from E3 saying, I want that. That's all you need mm-hmm. to do. And we'll give you a Robin Amiibo if you win. Um, or also, we're doing something a little different than most of our contests. You can also, we're going to be tweeting about the contest. And if you retweet the tweets we say you should retweet you'll get extra entries so to enter you just leave a comment and then you can boost your chances by retweeting uh some other tweets we'll be posting throughout the next few weeks and our we will announce the winner of robin and announce our next giveaway in our next episode which is actually our comic-con episode so we only talk about probably half of the stuff i played at e3 but i wanted to wait for you guys to get a chance to play the rest so um our comic-con episode is in two weeks Right after Con-Con itself, and Nintendo's going to be there, and they're going to be for sure talking Star Fox Zero, going to be for sure talking Mario Tennis, for sure talking Chibi Robo. Uh, there's a lot more, so stay tuned for that episode. It's going up the week of July 12th, not Sunday, July 12th, like we normally do, but because of Comic-Con, we're going to need a few days to decompress and collect our thoughts and pick our Amiibo winner. So follow us on Twitter at Nintendo, subscribe to us on iTunes to make sure you don't miss that episode, and to know if you won the Amiibo. So yeah, again, just leave a comment on site, that's how you enter, that's all there really is to it. Thank you again for um, listening to the show. If you want to hear what any of us have to say on our own about video games or any topic, uh, I'm JSR7 on Twitter, Angels Wero, W-E-R-O-E-I-R-O underscore O. Uh, Elvis over here is Drake Redcrest. You spelled that 101 times. I spelled that 101 <laughs> times. Uh, Elvis is Drake Redcrest, which is also oh, his... <laughs> Questlove, which is also his uh, Meverse handle. Jose, or Angels Meverse handle is Wero. I'm Jason R., <laughs> I think I've done enough plugging. Go into the contest. <laughs> Thank you for listening for 100 episodes. We'll see you in two weeks of the contest.